What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Leah Heilpern is an author, content creator, and speaker. In this conversation, we talk about the war on men, how feminism is a scam, lockdowns, wokeness, Bitcoin, the government controlling and keeping people weak and compliant, and what you need to know about free speech, Andrew Tate, and exactly what's going on with various governments, society, and politics around the world. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, make sure that you go and you leave a comment on YouTube or go ahead and share this on Twitter with your friends. Let me know once you're done listening exactly what you thought, either on Twitter or in the comments, and I'll see you guys for the next one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Leah here. Uh, I'm super excited about this. I thought a great place to start would be a war on men and feminism is a scam, which I've heard you say multiple times. Uh, What exactly does that mean? Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a massive war on masculinity right now, but I think it's a war which has been going on for a very long time. I mean, you only need to look at like media headlines, for example. They say if a man wants to be fit and strong, um, he's suddenly right wing. Um, I've seen that everywhere. Um, They talk about, um, you know, gym bros being dumb and all this stuff. Um, You know, you're also now sort of encouraging men to um, to cry and to do all these emotional things, um, you know, and I think it's both genders, to be honest. I think they're trying to masculine, make women more masculine and make men more feminine. Um, And there are many different reasons why this might be and we can get into that but it's so toxic you know if a man is brave and strong suddenly that's toxic masculinity if a man um, wants to you know provide for his family and he's gone every day or whatever it is that's toxic masculinity Um, but what I find really fascinating about the entire thing is the fact that when it comes to equality and wanting you know both wanting quotas to get um, equal amount of men and women in whatever kind of workspace there is you never hear anything about um, you know plumbers builders. No, you don't want more female builders. Never hear that. It's always, we need more, um, you know, more women in and all this stuff. So there's, I mean, you must feel it as a man, you must feel like, you know, there are certain things in certain places in the States that you're sort of like not allowed to behave in a certain way. I don't know. Do you ever feel that way? I I always go to, uh, just like personal experience. And the one area that, uh, was taboo for a really long time for people to talk about and all this stuff. And then like now somehow it's coming to the conversation is the military. Mm. And so like in the infantry, uh, for the longest time, there was no women in the infantry. And the thought process was like, one, uh, just like really close quarters. There's like a lot of uh, interpersonal things. You can imagine if soldiers are on the battlefield, uh, you know, and there's men and women and uh, in these kind of like high combat areas and stuff, like it throws off a lot of the cohesiveness of the unit, not necessarily for a good or bad. It's just, mm-hmm. it's different. Uh, two though, and like where I've always thought about it is like, if I was on the battlefield, and I've got, I don't know, 60, 70, 80, 100 pounds of gear on, there are not very many women, if any woman, who at the time when I got deployed, I think I was like 200 pounds, 195 pounds. She's talking about 300 pounds. Are they going to pick me up and put me on their shoulder and carry me off if I'm wounded? Yeah, exactly. By the way, 
There wasn't a shit ton of men who could do it either. There were some, but guess what they had to do is then they had to drag. They had to do like all these different things. And so like you start to understand like, okay, to your point about like plumbers or like yeah. physical labor or whatever, like I haven't seen a lot of conversation around let's get more women to go to the oil fields and like move the machinery <laughs> because they around. they don't want to because <laughs> like they pick and choose what suits them, which also like leads on to the whole feminism topic and we can get to that. But you had obviously Andrew Tate recently on your show and Andrew talks about a lot of harsh realities, which I think are so important. I know this is really harsh what I'm going to say, but it's a truth which I've sort of learned by being on the internet too long. Um, but there's this, this idea that as a man, no woman other than your mother is going to love you unconditionally. And that is what Andrew talks about. That's what like the red pill space talks about. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful. So it means, okay, as a man, how do you get a woman to love you? How do you get society to respect you? You literally need to become Women can just be, men have to become. So you have to make money. It's not all about money, but it's about status. It's always about status, unfortunately, or whatever, fortunately. So, so if we look at men in general, right? Uh, let's use the United States as, as kind of this example. Like what is in your mind uh, society's vision of like the perfect man, right? Like what does that look like today mm. in today's society? It's a good question because I think today's society, we have a lot of like femme-centric systems, whether it's like the education system, um, the judiciary system, they're all femme-centered. So it's, what does that mean, femme-centered? It means that it's women who are raising men or like teaching mm -hmm. boys. So you have more um, more female teachers in schools and they say to boys, it's okay to cry, it's okay to this. You know, They're not teaching them mental resilience and, and how to become a strong man, how to become a strong adult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the judiciary system, if, for, if a man and a woman are together, they're married and, um, you know, say she cheats or whatever it is, they, they get divorced, she gets half his money and the kids. You know, it's very femme-centric. Um, and so it's the woman that's in charge. We keep talking about like, um, you know, the patriarchy. The patriarchy's dead. We live in a matriarchy whereby men, I think, get the brunt of everything. I don't think even marriage is a good deal for men either. Why not? For what I just said, because of the judiciary system. Mm -hmm. um, because Like basically in the, in the downside case, the men get screwed. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas a woman is always going to be safe. And also we have to consider how men and women are viewed in society. Again, we, we talk about the so-called patriarchy, but it's women who are valued more than men. We want equality, but like, what does equality even mean? I think women are intrinsically valued on a higher level to men because it's the women and the children that are always protected first. Mm -hmm. It's the men that are sent off to war. It's the men that are more disposable. Mm -hmm. As a man, like I said, you have to become and a woman can just be. So it's like society doesn't care about you until you become something. Um, and nobody wants to talk about that. And I think we should talk about it. The reason we should talk about it is because I think the dynamics between men and women would just be better. Like, I think that um, with the correct, with healthy masculinity, um, femininity can can thrive in that kind of space. Mm -hmm. And if we stop men from being masculine and we stop women from being feminine, the genders just melt into each other and it becomes a mess and there's a lot of toxicity. And so nobody wants to talk about the fact that men are disposable in this world. Mm -hmm. Well, there's obviously the old like phrase, you know, uh, hard times make strong men yes. and, and kind of goes the whole thing. And eventually what you get is good times and then good times make weak men and weak men make hard times. Um, and, and so when we think about that, is that just like a natural cycle that we've seen throughout civilizations? Or is this something new where American society is 
taking the idea of what it is to be a man and, and changing it? Or have we seen in the past after the Roman empire fell, like, was there some point in time where, uh, no men were supposed to cry and do all these different things because it was no longer about, uh, kind of the dominance of, of uh, kind of ancient Rome, or is this something that you think is brand new? I think there's two pivotal parts in modern day. I mean, I'm only in my 20s, so I can't think mm -hmm. too far back, but let's just take the 60s, right? The 60s is an, is an amazing example because that was basically the liberation of women. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically when women didn't need men, right? It's, it's feminism because feminism empowers women. Um, what, is, what is feminism? How, which wave? I don't know, you tell me. Feminism, ultimately, if you speak to a feminist, she's going to say, oh, it's about the equality of men and women. I don't think it is anymore. It's about the woman's right to choose her own destiny. And I think that's I think that's important. I think that's great. Um, you know, I clearly have my own career or whatever, but that's because I believe in individual empowerment. I think everybody should be um, empowered to save themselves. As a woman, you shouldn't rely on um, a husband. You shouldn't rely on the government. You shouldn't rely on daddy. Whatever, you need to be empowered because you don't know what's coming tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. What if your husband dies? What if your dad, you know, whatever. Um, and so that's essential. But we're now at a point whereby feminism, I think, has gone too far. So, um, you know, if you hold the door for a man, uh, sorry, if a man holds the door for you, what are you doing? I can hold my own door. Um, and, and like these, these things are so integrated into society. I'm from London. And when I was 21, I used to work as a journalist and I carried all this heavy equipment by myself on the London underground up and down the stairs. Not one man ever offered to help me because he was, I could see it. They looked at me, but then, oh, should I, should I not? Should I? And I'm like, yes, help me. I'm a little woman. It's okay. I'm not offended. Right. Um, but they never did because they were um, afraid that they would offend me. Um, and I, so I think feminism has gone too far. It's now rejecting, um, the feminine. They're trying to say, well, you know, what is it? Why, why is, why is soft and nurturing feminine? Because it is, and that's okay. Um, so I feel like they are rejecting that. Um, and, we sort of spoke about this earlier, but there's like this, this pendulum that's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think we've gone way too far one way. Mm -hmm. um, and now the likes of like Andrew Tate and, you know, this kind of content are pushing people the other way and making people more comfortable about talking about these things. I also think the reason why I'm so vocal about this, some people said to me, oh, you're doing it for clicks. You're doing it because it's a really good niche. It's not true. Like I want to get married. Like mm -hmm. I'm single. I want to get married and I want to find um, a masculine man, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and so that's hard because there aren't so many masculine men left mm -hmm. because they don't know how to be because of the femme centric systems that we spoke about. Um, you know, it's okay to cry. It's okay to that. Like the, the fact of the matter is your wife doesn't want to see you cry. She doesn't want to see you struggle. She, all she wants is safety and that's it. So if you're looking weak, that's going to worry her. And so the respect for you declines. And again, people don't like this reality, but it, I think these are conversations are really important. I think that how much essential. of this is just society is getting softer because of the good times uh, versus it's like a specific male thing. It's a, I think it's, it's both parts. So okay. a lot of people would say that um, Western society peaked in the nineties. Mm -hmm. um, and then after nine 11 and you know, all the surveillance came in and everything like that. That's sort of where it went downhill. Um, and I can see that as well. I can see that with my own family, my own parents. Like they had this idea that, you know, if you work a good job and, um, you know, you get your good grades, you get a good job and you work your way up and, you know, you work for the man, then, you know, you're, you're going to have a nice um, retirement to come back to and all of that. And I think now is the first time we saw that really, truly play out in the 20th century, right? In modern day times, we saw that really, truly play out. And now we're sort of realizing that actually 
that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so it's the realization that you need more. You need a backup plan. Can't remember your first question. What was your first question? Well, well when you think about society in general, right? It's, oh, yes. it's very obvious that males are being pushed to be softer in whatever way you want to measure that. Uh, and to some degree, people who are pushing back on that, um, we can argue over the last five years, they probably were getting uh, uh, kind of shunned by society. Hey, what are you talking about? Uh, a lot of the labels come out that people start to use to try to put them in a box so that other folks won't listen to them or, or whatever. Um, but also I think that it's bigger than just male, right? Yes. I, th I think that in general society has gotten much, much softer. And I always talk about like, there's like a mental toughness crisis in America yeah. of just like, shut up and deal with the problems. And that's not a man saying that. It's not a woman saying that. That's, not, that's just like how the world works. Mm. And uh, what you do see is in many great societies, uh, they go through this uh, kind of rise of the empire. Uh, the good times are really fucking good. They're amazing. People absolutely love them. But it does cause a lot of problems. And then naturally there's a decline of the empire. And we've seen this time and time again in history. And it's hard. This is not just in countries. Like this is also true of companies, right? I, I always talk about the fact that like Bill Gates used to be, you know, the pirate in the garage. Mm -hmm. Like Bill Gates is going to take down, you know, IBM or, or whoever. And, he, and he's the renegade. Now Bill Gates is the man. He's the system. <laughs> he is literally the institution, right? Yeah. And so like if you live long mm -hmm. enough, you move from the like incumbent uh, or I'm sorry, from the uh, disruptor to the incumbent. And so like countries do this, companies do this. But like also to some degree, like how many people are kind of renegades as individuals who make big, bold bets, who uh, are willing to dream and, and have the courage and conviction to take risk and do all this stuff when they're young and still at the age of 60 are doing the same thing. Like even humans themselves, you grow way more risk averse. You're, you, you lose some of the uh, kind of uh, mental flexibility or intellectual flexibility you have. And like that is just the nature of, uh, of kind of how the world works. We actually celebratize people who don't. Like Elon Musk sold a company, took all the money and just like put it on black basically. So I'm a better myself. I'm going to go invest in these three companies and maybe I go broke. Yeah. He's not supposed to do that. Like society says like that was dumb. Now he looks pretty smart, but like for the most part, a lot of people still, even though knowing that it worked, think that that's insane. And that's why those stories go viral or, or get celebrated. But you're like, maybe that is the way that the world should work is that people should have more boldness to them and, and have the courage to take more risk. Yeah, but they wouldn't teach you that. So you're asking me, you know, is this just a man thing or a woman thing? I think it's a system thing. So the 90s was the peak and then everything kind of sort of came crashing down. Um, and I think there's a greater agenda at play here, which is in charge of all of this. What's the agenda? Um, the agenda is control. It's always control. It's power and that's it. Um, and, you know, why would they teach you to be an entrepreneur? They don't want you to be an Elon Musk. They hate Elon Musk. Why do they hate him? They're obsessed with this ESG narrative and yet he's literally doing Tesla cars. How, how does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He's literally trying to um, improve uh, the human life by uh, extending it um, to another planet and all, and all this. And, and, and they don't like him. He paid the most taxes and that's still not enough. Why? Because he is an example that you can achieve and you can do more and you can be better. He also has multiple women and multiple children because he can, right? Mm -hmm. Unethical, not ethical. It doesn't really matter. As long as everybody involved knows the case and is and is consensual and everything's fine, then, then whatever. But ultimately, why would they teach you to take more risk? 
It doesn't make sense. But I do think with everything that's going on in the world right now, um, COVID and everything like that, we've sort of realized that actually this idea that we had in the 20th century, whereby, you know, have a nice safety net, everything's going to be okay, actually isn't the best plan, which is why I love Bitcoin, because I'm like, well, that's my safety net. Like that's, that's my, that's my rainy day. You know, when, if I don't want to put an injection inside my body, um, and I want to protest like the truck is in Canada, I don't have to worry about my money being confiscated because I hold Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. That's where like my interest in Bitcoin comes from. I feel like it's that safety. It's me. It allows me to be sovereign, whether I need to flee a country, um, because of a lockdown, um, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm obviously here, not in London anymore. Um, that was very easy for me because, you know, my Bitcoin is just, just wherever it is and I can just move that. Um, so I think that with everything going on in the world right now, COVID, vaccines, the war on masculinity, feminism going crazy, rejecting whatever it means to be um, soft and feminine has woken people up and has pushed them completely the other way. And I'm really excited. And I think as well, like back in 2000 and was it 15 when Trump won the election? Yep. people didn't expect him to win. And I was in university at the time and my lecturer, um, who was just a very typical, um, you know, professor lefty and all this, I said to her, Trump's going to win. And she was like, oh, no, he won't. Absolutely not. Laughing at me. Very posh, aristocrat, kind of, yeah. Um, and I said, you'll see, you'll see. And of course he won because people are fed up. People are tired. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm so excited about Bitcoin. Like, I don't care about the price. Mm -hmm. I just know that this is a way for people to opt out of all this bullshit, which is only going to get worse. I mean, 2030, you'll have, what, what is it? You'll own nothing and be happy. Mm -hmm. What the hell is that? Like, how yeah. do you like how do you how do you sit still and just be like, oh, okay, I'll own nothing and be happy? I, I think a lot about uh, the difference between like I call it like the boardroom or the street, right? Mm. So, in, in the boardroom is really just a, a way to describe like the mainstream talking points, the institutions, like all the things that are associated with people wearing suits and ties to work, doing what they're supposed to do, work at a company for forty years, like all of these things that our grandparents or parents probably did because there was really no other option. They didn't know that, um, and they just kind of passed along. And, and that's just what people were supposed to do. But then like the streets or the street knowledge, it's really the internet now. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole collection of people and it's growing bigger and bigger every single day who are like, this is insane. Like what is going on? There's literally an account on Twitter, Clown World, that has like 250,000 followers that grew in, I don't know, a year or so. And all it that uses is two emojis. Wow. <laughs> it uses a clown face and it uses a world emoji. And it just retweets things that other people are putting out in the world and just says, this is insane. And it says it with two emojis. And it's like, how powerful of an idea to simply just like put a mirror up to the insanity and just say to everyone like, this, this is what you guys agree with. And so when you start to look at this, what going to this like pendulum idea, it used to be uh, very much kind of on uh, hyper masculinity, um, a, a very self-sovereign type approach. Uh, families had a very uh, kind of nuclear basis and, and were very interested in what they were supposed to uh, do and how that worked. It swung completely in the other direction. And uh, you can argue that many times it swung, not because there was like some evil secret plan. I think a lot of times people just, hey, there's a problem. And like, we want to try to address the problem. And it was mm -hmm. good intentions, but the pendulum swung pretty far. And you can look at the safety in cities. You can look at family uh, uh, kind of dynamics. You can look at all these different things. But to your point, it feels like it's coming back. And now people are like, this is fucking insane. And 
one of the things that I use as a proxy for this is when I see things go viral, what's the message? Because the something that goes viral really only goes viral for one of two reasons. Either everyone's like, yes, this, like, like this, I resonate with this, like, uh, is something that I agree with or, oh my God, look how crazy this person is. Like, this is insanity, whatever. In both of those cases now, like I've actually seen over the last, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks, multiple videos of women saying a lot of what you're saying in mm. terms of like the, uh, kind of feminist movement is like dumb essentially. I didn't see that two years ago. And so it does feel like there's like this pendulum swing, but like, what was the catalyst? Why do you think the pendulum is now swinging back in the other direction? I think it's because we've given people enough time. Like we tried it. We tried the left wing thing. We tried women dyeing their hair blue, not shaving their armpits. Did it get them a high value man? No, it didn't. Um, and then also as more people grow up, they start to come into themselves more, right? So like, I'm in my mid-20s. When I was 19, 20, I was like a real tomboy. Like I was quite masculine. Like I loved wrestling and things like that. As I grow up, I become more feminine and I, I, I enjoy more feminine things. Like you'll not see me in like trousers nowadays. Like, I don't like that. I want to wear dresses. Like I, you, you just feel it within you, right? And it's just a feeling and you just want to reject what they're trying to do to you. Um, whether it's, you know, cut your hair short, dye your hair blue, piercings, like it just doesn't work. And the older you get, the more you learn more about yourself and different situations that you prefer. Um, and that sort of, I think it just takes time. Like we try, we tried the other way. Women aren't happy. We're seeing women who are, you know, amazing in their careers, but they're single in their thirties. It's not really happiness. Like I know as a matter of fact, if I, like I would rather, and I'm going to say this here, I would rather, um, be so happily married and satisfied in a marriage than be the best CEO, the best, whatever it is, because I know that it doesn't work. It's, that's not where happiness comes from. And the older I get, the more I understand that as a woman. And I think a lot of women are understanding that too. Um, and it's also because it went so far the other way. And so girls are like, I can't, I, I don't resonate with that. What do you mean you don't shave your armpits? Why wouldn't you shave your armpits? You know, they don't resonate with that. Um, is so, that is that what the conversation that girls have with each other is like? Do you shave your armpits or not? Not really, no. Oh, okay. But it's but, but it's like but it's but well, well, actually, I used to, when I was working in London as a journalist, I was working with this girl. I was twenty one; she was twenty five at the time. Um, and she said to me, she doesn't shave her armpits. And I was like, I was like, well, why? She said, mm, I want to just reject it. I'm like, well, what do you mean reject it? Like, there's so why many- is that the thing? Like, there's a lot of other things that because it's okay for a man to be hairy, but it's not okay for a woman to be hairy. And why? Why is femininity? Why is a woman valuable if she's soft like a baby? You know, isn't that isn't that disgusting? Isn't that like pedophilia? Like, you know, so it's the same as like men liking younger women. Why she looks like a baby? That must mean men are evil. They don't like mature older women who are actual adults. It's all rubbish because we understand why men like younger women and why women date older men. But you also mentioned the clown world thing, which I just want to touch on. You said there might be because of the pendulum, but I actually think it's more sinister than that. Okay. Um, the drag queen story hour thing is so messed up. I really, really believe that like the powers that be, whether it's, you know, Biden, the administration, all these things that they're supporting, um, I think they're doing it for a bad reason. I don't know what that reason is. I imagine it's probably to destabilize society, destabilize the dynamics between men and women. So we don't have that nuclear family anymore. So children grow up unstable and unable to fight whatever's coming. That's my 
arch my overall view, but it's so sinister. How, like, how on what planet can you justify drag queens twerking in front of children? I saw a video of a drag queen on stage um, somewhere in America inviting a child. She looked at least ten years old to come up on stage and twerk with her. How are people clapping? In what in what world is that even okay? Gay pride has totally been um, hijacked and totally destroyed. I have so many gay friends and they don't resonate with it. They're Bitcoiners as well. Why not? Well, because LGBTQQQQQ plus, 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 whatever it is, is all uh, the gay pride is just men walking down streets half naked in bondage, whipping each other's bums while there's children there. How does a gay person resonate with that? Only somebody that's messed up in the head would think, yeah, that's okay to do that in public in front of children. And so the whole LGBT thing has been totally hijacked and has been given the green light by the powers that be. I can't remember who, maybe it was like, uh, was it Eric Adams or somebody, probably Eric Adams, who said something really positive about like drag queens and children the other day. And I'm like, are you insane? Yeah, he, he, uh, he's been a big disappointment. I mean, that was obvious though. Uh, across a couple of different uh, uh, aspects. The, uh, um, talk about hoodwinking a lot of people. Um, and uh, I've seen a lot of folks who are very positive and very supportive of him publicly. Mm. Uh, not so much anymore, but they uh, they don't have the courage to come out and say it. So they kind of say it behind closed doors. Um, but but the whole thing with the drag queens going into school, I have a nine-month-old daughter. Yeah. If she was in school, I don't even have to talk to my wife. Like I, 100% she's getting pulled out of school. Yeah. If she's going to school and there's, drag, uh, if there's twerking going on on stage, like, uh, yeah, just like stop fucking with the kids is kind of the way I think about it. Um, but it's not just that it's also this idea of like, I then extrapolated out and I'm like, okay, if my daughter was 24 years old and she was like, Hey, I'm going to bring my boyfriend home. And she walked through the door and there was like some soft ass, like fuck boy. Mm -hmm. I would literally be like, I'm going to whoop this kid's ass. Right. Like, I mean, that's just, and again, people can get mad, whatever. But like, that is the whole idea of like, uh, I I think it's actually the exact same thing that I would uh, look at it from if I had a son and he brought home a girlfriend, I would be like, yo, you have like a woman who isn't like a strong woman who's going to be a good partner for you in life. I'd be like, hey, man, we got to, we, we got to, you know, go on to the next one here, mm-hmm. right? Like, like decision-making, it doesn't look so strong. And it's why I always go back to like, I actually think the number one thing you could teach kids is just like to be a good decision-maker. Mm. You're never going to be able to like, okay, here's every single decision you're possibly going to have to make. Let me tell you all the right moves. Like, that's not how life works. But if you can just teach them when you're faced with a decision, like here's how to think from first principles. Here's how to think critically. Here's how to think independently. Like you, you kind of go through it. You can then put them in all these situations, whether it's something in their personal life, in their professional life, whatever. And you're like, they're at least armed with the skills to like navigate the world with a higher probability of success. And they are likely to avoid the really bad decisions. Mm. And that feels to me like as a parent, if you can do that, then like you at least set your kid up for success. Doesn't guarantee, but like you're much better off than like, let me just give them to the state essentially and let the state just like, I don't know, teach them all kinds of crazy shit. But that's what's going on in America more so in, than in the UK. And I, I don't know enough about this, but I know there's like this push and pull between parents and teachers and how much control they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really bizarre. Like that's also why feminism, okay. So just to backtrack just a little bit, it's also why feminism even exists in the first place. Like I believe feminism was created by men, by the men at the top, because they wanted to have a 50% of the population that they could tax so they could make more money. Um, and then also, like I said, destabilize the family unit. So they want women out 
out of the home into the career, into the workplace. And so now the women, are, the, sorry, the children are left to who, who's going to take care of them, the state, easier to indoctrinate, easier to brainwash. Um, and only looking back now at my childhood, do I see the indoctrination that I experienced um, in like schools. Uh, like without getting too, too into it, but like I come from a certain culture and, um, and I realized now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, wow, they were really trying to make us look at, look at that situation in that certain way it wasn't until I, I was in my 20s that I experienced a lot more and I was like oh I actually don't agree with that oh wow that's that's not true it's like a religious thing or yeah else? religious oh, and cultural yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know they, they want you to support certain ideas and, and they mm. really shove that down your throat as a child um it's why all these ideas are shoved down your throat as a child but that's not new right like like mm. take religion as one example I mean you can go all the way back and like re- there was no separation of state and, and yeah. uh, God right like literally religion and state were the same thing and so like that was the dominant viewpoint there's obviously been a decline in uh, kind of religious participation in the United States and and globally to some degree as well. But uh, I, I do wonder like how much of that is just being replaced by like the modern religion, which we can talk about, you know, is wokeness or religion as an example. Yeah, I think religion was good. Like I think um, all wars, wars are always going to happen. People are always going to hate each other. Religion is just a scapegoat. I think um, like I was brought up Jewish and I I love Judaism. Like it's given me the best family values. It's stabilized mm-hmm. me. It's given me like heritage and purpose. And you know, it's great. I think religion is great. Um, I love Christians. I love the Christians in America. They have very amazing, they're very root, uh, rooted. They have great values. I get on with them very well. Um, and so- Religion gives people purpose. It gives people good values. When you remove the religion, what is there? Where, where does your hope come from when, when life is tough? You don't have anyone to pray to. You don't have anything to ground you. Um, and so that's where I think like the victim mentality and the wokeness started to come from because it's like, what else are we going to need? Like we need something to fulfill our minds because, you know, good times create um, hard, good men or whatever. Yeah. So because times were so easy and there was a lack of religion, people's brains started to wonder. It's what we do. We have to create problems. It's just how the mind works if it's bored. And I literally think wokeness was born out of boredom and entitlement and an easy time, Um, which is why I think people, that's why we have social justice warriors, right? Because they need something to feel good about because, you know, they're not being a good Jew or they're not being a good Christian or whatever, Muslim or whatever, because, you know, they don't have any religions. They have nothing to devote their life to. Um, you know, family values are just gone now. So they don't have that really to, to ground them. Um, so all they have is this crisis that's going on. And of course they're lazy as well because schools don't teach you how to be better. So they don't really have like a career or anything. Um, so they, they're just bored, and looking for the next thing to, the next project, you know, the next thing to rile them, give them, give them a sense of something, right? Like, isn't everybody on antidepressants these days? So we're all basically walking zombies right now. And so people need something to give them a spark, something to outrage them, right? And so, yeah, if a woman sees a man that's, um, that's talking the way Andrew Tate talks, and he's saying, you know, women are this, you know, I don't, I don't want to be with women who have slept with all these men. And they're like, they're going to be outraged because they need it. I think they need it really in order to like survive. This episode is brought to you by Alto IRA. They can help you invest in Bitcoin and crypto in a tax advantage way. 
That helps you preserve your hard-earned money. Alto's Crypto IRA lets you invest in Bitcoin and over 200 other different coins and tokens, and it has all the same tax advantages of your traditional IRA. There's no setup or account fees, and it's all you need to do, invest in crypto tax-free. Let me repeat that again. You can invest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies tax-free. So are you ready to take your investments to the next level? Diversify like the pros and trade without tax headaches. Open an Alto Crypto IRA to invest in Bitcoin and crypto tax-free. Go to altoira.com slash pomp. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash pomp. Start investing today. We interrupt this podcast to tell you about the most anticipated crypto event of the year. Masari's Mainnet Conference 2022 is happening this year, September 21st to the 23rd in New York City. It's three days of can't-be-missed keynotes, fireside chats, demos, networking, and more. They'll have folks like Ryan Selkis of Masari interviewing Ripple's Brad Garlinghouse, and that one is going to be absolute fireworks. They also have keynotes from Balaji Srinivasan and OpenSea's Devin Finzer. You can get $300 off if you go to mainnet.events. Again, just type in www.mainnet.events, use promo code POMP, and you'll get $300 off. I'll see you this fall at Mainnet 2022. Why did uh, so many people go after Andrew Tate? I mean, hmm. you, you've uh, spent time with him, right? I obviously uh, did an episode with him. Um, and, you know, I said to him at the end of the episode, I said, look, like the way that you deliver a lot of the message uh, is kind of in this bombastic wrapper and uh, there's an entertainment value to it. But there's a seed of truth in a lot of what he was saying. Is it a thing where they feel threatened by him? They fear uh, kind of the truth getting out? Um, wh- what do you think is going on there? It's because he's literally the anti-woke. Like he's the anti of everything that they're promoting. So I don't even think it has anything to do with his um, so-called misogynistic views. I don't really think they're misogynistic, but I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has everything to do with the fact that he's pulling people out of the matrix. So he's waking people up. He's saying, nobody's coming to save you. Forget that nine to five. You need to save yourself. You don't need antidepressants. Let me teach you how to fight depression by yourself. What does that do? Puts the pharmaceutical companies out of out of work, right? And so it's because he's literally empowering men to save themselves. And I think that men are the forefront of society. Like if you have weak men, society crumbles. If you have strong women, it doesn't really matter. It's the men that matter. So if you have strong men, then society can flourish in every different way. Um, and they don't want, we like the powers that be don't want us flourishing because less control. Um, and so like, I personally learned so much from him. Like I love self-improvement content. And so I, I mainly watch men, male content, to be honest, because it's mainly the men that are doing that. You know, he talks about happiness. And again, his content is for men, but I like it. So he's like, um, don't worry about being happy. Just wake up, get up and do, keep going. You know, and I'm like, that's true. I I do, I I ask myself, am I happy? What do I, forget happiness, just Mm -hmm. do, take action. And that is so powerful because if you're not happy and you're wondering why you're not happy all day, you're just going to be there taking your antidepressants, feeling like a zombie, demotivated, compliant. You'll do whatever the system tells you to do. You'll take that vaccine because you can't be bothered to fight because you have no fight left in you. So he's give, he's, he's empowering people, men in particular. And so they, they, they can't allow that. Yeah. If you go back and you read uh, the Stoics, 
and then you listen to what Andrew Tate was saying and you strip away the delivery of both of them, right? Mm. So you strip away kind of all of the uh, poetic uh, um, kind of uh, almost to a degree aristocratic, you know, uh, uh, rapper from the Stoics message. And then you take away the bombastic components of Andrew Tate and, and you overlay them. They're saying a lot of the same stuff. Like you are in control. You have to mentally get into a certain position in order to be successful in life. Uh, there's not a lot of like random bullshit in the world and material possessions and things like that that will make you happy. Like ultimately it's an inside job, yeah. right? And what, what cracks me up is I think that um, if you were to take also, you know, Will Smith, who is pretty well loved around the world, like he has a viral video uh, where he talks about like happiness is an inside job. And he explicitly says, it's not my job to make my wife happy. It is her job to be happy. And somehow like that was celebrated, right? And so like, it's very unique because I also think it highlights this idea of like the messenger really mm. matters. Um, and one, it's easy to celebrate the dead people, right? Cause it's like, oh, they're dead. Like they're not, they're not really threatening anymore. Exactly. Um, two is they end up getting shared by a lot of folks who we consider of high status in society today. So when you see somebody tweeting about the Stoics, reading books about the Stoics or, or whatever, we end up ascribing like, oh, you are of a certain status. And therefore those ideas being shared by these people today mean that these people are good and these ideas are like accepted. But then when you see somebody who, uh, uh, to the outsider, they'd be, they would say, what has Andrew Tate accomplished? The second that it is, uh, kickboxing or it is, you know, internet business or, or any of these other things, it doesn't fit into the mold of, uh, Oh, you rose up in the ranks in the corporation and you became the CEO. I actually would, uh, it would be fascinating. You can't study it or, or kind of run the experiment, but like what happens if you took those exact same thoughts and you had somebody from like the accepted institutions say them? What would the response be? One, people would come for that person very quickly because they'd have the pressures of the institutions and, and so you can question whether they'd ever even be able to say this. But we do have some examples. If you look at Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, he comes out and he's like, hey, uh, we have a business. It's a business. We're capitalists. We're here to do work. If you don't want to do work, then <laughs> you probably shouldn't be here. If you're worried about other things, I like go somewhere else. And I've told the story before, but uh, during uh, the pandemic, uh, over the summer of 2020, there was all of the social justice unrest and, and uh, all, all that going on. And I know two separate CEOs that run uh, pretty large, fast-growing technology companies, and they were getting massive inbound. People were mm -hmm. coming to them in their company and saying, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? Why and they were like in private telling me like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I literally do not know what to do. And so both of them, unbeknownst to each other, chose very similar paths. One of them, uh, they had a huge marketing campaign that they had set up. Uh, I think it was like a, almost a million dollars or something. Um, and uh, due to a couple of things in the market and, and also uh, just sensitivities to kind of culture or whatever, they decided not to go forward with the marketing campaign, but they had this allocated money that was sitting there. So they had the idea, let's give it to the employees. And we're going to give the employees uh, whatever it was, I don't know, $10,000 each or whatever. No, nice. They can spend it on whatever they want. Mm -hmm. You want to buy a standing desk? Knock yourself out. You want to get a gym membership? Knock yourself out. You want to pay off some student debt? Knock yourself out. If you want to donate the money, knock yourself out, whatever. If you donate the money, the CEO said, I will match up to $250,000 personally. Wow. And according to uh, the CEO, he had like two people in the entire company donate. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone else took the money and put it in their pocket. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, they're wrong because 
that was their right. They could do whatever they wanted with the money. And, and it doesn't mean that they took the money and uh, just went out and, you know, uh, spent it at the club. Like maybe they actually did pay off student loans or what nobody knows. But the reason that they gave it was everyone was requesting all of these different donations with the company's money. But then when it was their money, a little different story. Second guy, almost exact same thing, gave everyone money, no cap. He just said, hey, if you donate the money, let me know and I'll match it. Mm. I'll match the whole thing. One person. And so again, these are two anecdotes. It doesn't necessarily mean every company would be this way. But what I think it showed was that like, man, when you kind of almost like call their bluff, there wasn't a lot of action going on. And then I wonder if you take that and you extrapolate it across all these issues, like how much of that is the, that's the standard, that's the default, rather than these stories are outliers. Yeah, I literally think that's the default. Like that's my issue with socialism. Everybody's so generous with other people's money, but whenever it's their own, they're not. And which is why whenever you find, which is why they say when you're younger, if you're not a Democrat, then you don't have a heart. But if you're older and you're still a Democrat, then you don't have a brain. Um, and it's because, you know, as you get older, and you make your own money. Um, you know, me first. Charity starts at home. I um, you know, how, how are you supposed to even, I mean, it's, it's the same with America. How are you supposed to save yourself or save this country if you keep giving money to Ukraine, right? Like save your home first. Charity starts at home. So yeah, people are always going to be selfish first. And that's literally okay. Um, everybody's playing pretend. That's what I've noticed. Everybody's pretending. They're pretending to be a good person. And they prefer to pretend to be a good person than actually be a good person. Um, like I help people, I'm a nice person, um, but like I don't need to tell people, I don't need to do anything about it. And actually my way of helping people is tough love. Like if you're fat, I'm gonna tell you you're fat. And like, I'm gonna tell you, like you're not gonna get a woman if you behave like that. You're not gonna get a man if you behave like that. Like I'm gonna tell you straight. Like the email you sent me, that's crap. Like to somebody, obviously that that's that I know, um, but you know I tell them like that's not a good email, like that's not going to get you business. And so people love pretending. Everybody's pretending. It's why socialism is so stupid. Because so in uh, in the UK we have a lot of um, we have a lot of like nationalized services, right? Like um, whether it's uh, houses, whether it's our healthcare system, and all this. Um, everything which is nationalized and owned by the government is honestly trash. They trash it because they don't care because it's not theirs. Um, that, so that, that's my issue with socialism. Everybody's so generous with everyone else's money. But as soon as it's your money and somebody's offering it to you, you're going to hold on to that very, very tight. Um, but in terms of the messenger, that's a really good point because um, it's interesting because Jordan Peterson is also quite like Andrew Tate in terms of the message, empowering men to be men. And I love Jordan Peterson. Like I'm a, such a big fan. Um but even they don't like him. And he comes from the institution. He's a professor. He wears a three-piece suit Yeah, too. he wears a full <laughs> suit. This guy is a suit, exactly. You know, he speaks impeccably well, everything about him, you know. Um, you know, he's got a great family. He's still with his wife. He's not, you know, messing around or anything like that. It's a great man. And they hate him because that's how deep the wokeness goes. It's the same as like, um, when I say these things, firstly, I think I have, people will give me more slack because I'm a woman. You know, we live in such a uh, patriarchal society, yet I can get away with saying more of these things um, because I'm a woman. Um, I gotta be careful, I don't go too far because then I will be banned. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's why they hate like black conservatives. It's why when I say what I say, I get called a pick me girl or a- What's that? A, like I, I'm only saying what I'm saying so a man will pick me. Oh, yeah, be picked, yeah, yeah. you know, that rubbish. Um, so they'll call me a pick me rather than somebody who actually thinks this. Like somebody on crypto Twitter, for example, um, he literally said that I say what I say um, because um, I have internalized misogyny. 
Um, and I'm literally just trying to please men. That's why I say what I say. So a man was mansplaining to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of part of the joke. Exactly. So I'm like, (laughs) you don't think a woman can have an independent thought? You like, you know, it's like, it's like if, if a black person's a conservative, it's like, you know, you know, you're not black if you don't vote for Biden. It's Mm. so insane. That's the internalized racism. That's the internalized misogyny. So Mm. like, you're not allowed to, um, have your own opinion. And so the being a messenger, a certain type of messenger certainly helps. Like I get a lot more views or like more, um, people cut me more slack as a woman. Cause they're like, Oh, she said it. Then, you know, I'm not allowed to say it as a man, but she can say it. How um, do you use that? Like, so I, I 100% agree that yeah. uh, a woman can say certain things that a man also could be saying, but for whatever reason, uh, it's almost like a defense mechanism. Mm. There's a lot of folks in the political realm uh, who used to be Democrats. Now they share more kind of uh, right-leaning theories. And one of the first defenses that everyone will use is like, oh, well, they used to be a Democrat, then they like woke up, right? Or then, then they did whatever. And so like they're cut slack because it's like, oh, this person has actually changed their mm. mind. Uh, how do you use that for good or bad, maybe, uh, being a woman sharing some of the views that you have? What do you mean? Well, just do you intentionally go out and say like, hey, I know I can say this and other people can't, so I'm going to say it? Or or are you just saying, no, look, I just happen to notice that people uh, give me more slack? Like, is it an intentional thing or is it more so just something that you've noticed uh, passively? Yeah, it's not calculated. I don't say it because I'm a woman and so I can. I say it because I genuinely mean it and I mean Mm -hmm. what I say. Um, And I can say a lot of things that men can't say. Like I can say women are emotional. Men can't say that. Um, but women are so emotional. Um, why, why can you say that and men can't? Because I'm a woman, so I'm allowed to, right? It's, it's like a black person's able to say, like, for example, like, I won't comment on BLM that much because, like, mm-hmm. I don't really want to. I'm not black. I'm not getting into that. I'll, I'll comment on women's stuff. I don't really want to, like, step on things I'm not supposed to step on, mm-hmm. whatever. But is it also something where you feel like you have uh, more insight into, like, the women's yeah. role in society being a woman. Like, I feel like I, okay. it would be hard for me to comment on like a woman's experience in society because I'm not a woman. But like, you know, but my you know wife it, would probably have a much better idea of that than, than I would, right? But you know the truth though. Like if you, if there's a problem between in life and you and your wife are trying to tackle it, she's going to tackle it more emotionally than you would. And she'd probably rely on you for your logic and your clear thinking, I imagine. Yeah, I, I also think um, one of the, pieces uh that really shocks me is just how much uh like the idea of like this like partnership uh, we have a lot of friends who uh um are couples and also work together and if you go and you talk to all of them uh one everyone's always like asking kind of at, in closed door dinners like how do you work together yeah. and then also like the personal stuff like not get like have work spill over into personal life or vice versa or whatever and so there's like tactical things but i think if you went and asked every single one of them and, and like the guys and uh, the women would say the same thing of like, there's balance. Mm. Like the man is, uh, 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 takes a very specific view on something or takes a certain approach to things. Uh, and the woman in the relationship takes a different approach. Sometimes actually it's like, oh, hey, I'm like, a, I'm the gas, she's the brakes. We have other friends who are like the exact opposite. Like she's the gas and he's the brakes. But like the balance makes like a more well-rounded team to some degree. And I feel like a lot of times that gets either one ignored or two, like people don't like the fact that uh, you could identify, uh, oh, each person has their own strengths and you put them together, they're stronger together. It feels like that has become somehow taboo in, uh, in society as well. Yeah, like men and women aren't equal. And that is 
canceled. Feature. You're canceled. <laughs> you are canceled. <laughs> Men and women are not equal and it's a feature, not a bug. I think that they complement each other perfectly well. Um, you know, whether it's a woman who's more masculine and a man that's more feminine. So she's, I don't know, she's the gas and he's the brakes. So whatever way it is, it doesn't really matter. I it, think. Is it fair to say that men and women are not equal on every single like aspect and therefore, because I think what ends up happening also, I, I'm very aware of uh, the internet absolutely is amazing, except for in one area. Nuanced conversation yeah. is like banned from the internet, uh, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. You cannot have nuanced conversation. That's how they get you back for more. That's <laughs> yes. the point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, there's a reason why it's only 280 characters. Exactly. Um, but if you think about, uh, uh, let's take a basketball team. The point guard is amazing at dribbling and passing and calling plays and like doing all these things. Nobody in the NBA is like, why is the point guard not posting up down underneath the basket, the guy who's 6'10", mm -hmm. right? Or seven feet tall. It's just known like, this is the role. This is what you're great at. By the way, the person who plays center can't play point guard, right? And, and, and vice versa. And so it's like, strengths are very obvious, but weaknesses are very obvious. In the conversation around gender and like roles in society and all this stuff, it just feels like we want to label everything with one broad brush. Mm. We don't want to say like, no, hey, this person or this type of person or this person with this upbringing or this training or whatever, like here are their strengths, here are their weaknesses. Guess what? We probably should find somebody with the opposite strengths and weaknesses, put them together. Like that's a better team. That seems like common sense, but it feels like it's completely left out of the conversation. And it's just like equal, not equal. There's no like, no, put these people together and they're like stronger together. Yeah, 100%. Because like we were saying, that's the only way to keep people on the internet by not allowing any nuanced conversation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, people love labels. It's the best way to help them characterize things and filter through um, information in their brains. Um, but I think men and women complement each other amazingly well. Um, and as a woman, I'm able to say certain things that men aren't allowed to say. Um, and I don't do it for clicks. I don't do it for anything other than I, my brand, my mission, my everything is to empower individuals to save themselves. And that's teaching women that, you know, don't wait till your 30s. It's teaching men, no one's going to love you unconditionally other than your mother. You know, it's teaching these really hard realities of life, whether it's empowering somebody over their finances, their personal life, their health, whatever it is. Um, and that's sort of what I want to push the most. Um, and there's so many things that I understand. Like, it, it, Explain this more. So like yeah. you said, you tell women, don't wait till you're 30. Mm. And then you tell men, nobody's going to love you unconditionally except for your mother. Yeah. Start with the woman uh, comment. What, what does that mean? So men prefer younger women. So like a man in his 30s is more likely to want to partner with a woman in her 20s rather than somebody his own age because men date down. Why women, do they do that? Why do they do that? Because men want to protect and provide. So it's, it could be to some extent off-putting a woman that's already super successful, um, you know, and it, when she's the CEO, she's probably got some masculine traits now. Um, whereas like a woman in her 20s who maybe isn't an entrepreneur and is more feminine and, you know, he, he can probably feel more like a man with her. It makes him feel better in order to protect and provide for her. Also, there's fertility reasons, you know, men may want hundreds and hundreds of children and she's more likely to give you that in her 20s than she can in her 30s. Um, everything's a generalization obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and women date upwards. Um, and all of this is okay. It's why, why do women do that? Because we want someone to protect and provide for us. We Women will always date a man that's more successful and more intelligent, which is why it's hard when you're a woman who is successful and who is intelligent, because you're like, oh, wow, well, I'm already 
in the top very high percentage of people regardless of gender so now it's like wow like that's creating an even smaller pool is what it is it's just the harsh realities of life and um, nothing you can do about it but people get so offended by these things and i don't think you need to be offended that men prefer younger women because women prefer older men when i was like 20 i would date men that were in their late 20s and that would offend my peers it would offend the guys my own age and you know there's nothing you can do about that so women in their tw- in their 30s and 40s complaining about this is like well girl you weren't you you know you weren't offended when you were dating men 10 years older than you when you were younger mm-hmm. so that's that's the female situation um the male situation we kind of spoke about this it's no one is going to love you unconditionally other than your mother and i know that's so harsh but it's so true because if you're not doing your job as a man that's it you're done your wife is going to leave you But that's been happening literally for centuries. I know, but they're trying to reverse engineer. They're trying to not let people realize that. Um, So they want men to, um, you know, get fat. um, Don't become an entrepreneur. Stay in the nine to five. Get into debt. Get in, you know, Mm -hmm. enjoy the inflation because higher wages and all this rubbish. You know, they're they're trying to push people lower and lower and lower. One of the craziest stories from history, uh, and I'm going to generalize here because I don't remember all the details, but Marcus Aurelius uh, was the emperor of Rome. Uh, He was out on the battlefields fighting uh, one of the invading forces. And uh, word got back to Rome that Marcus Aurelius had been killed. And uh, obviously they didn't have cell phones back then. So like it takes a while to get there. Um, And his wife uh, said to their daughter, uh, stay here. I'm going to go to Egypt. And for those who don't uh, understand Rome, Egypt, Egypt was where a lot of the grain came from and and things like that. Uh, A lot of land, obviously. And at that time when an emperor died, the number one group of people that were at risk were his family because the next emperor regardless of who they were, usually killed the family of the past emperor because that's the way that they established power. Sometimes it was a direct, hey, we know that they killed it. Other times, somehow they all just died, right? Um, But what she decided to do was she went to Egypt and uh, basically Marcus Aurelius had kind of a right-hand man and he had been looking over a lot of things in Egypt. And as the story is told, uh, she ended up sleeping with him and basically like almost like uh, being his personal like hype woman, being like, you could become the emperor of Rome with my backing. Like you can get, you can go there right now together and like we can install you. You can protect my family and you can like have all this power and wealth and all this stuff. Well, unfortunately for her, Marcus Aurelius was not dead. Word got back to him that like, yo, (laughs) your wife is, you know around, uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, thinks that you're dead. So, uh, in a number of the depictions, she basically then goes to the front lines to go find Marcus and basically be like, Hey, we're still good. Right. Uh, she does not come back alive. And so when you think of that, uh, story, it's like, man, that is not the like stoic version of the, of the past that we're usually told, but that is very much rooted in like human nature of, uh, the way the story is told, that woman is specifically looking for, I am in danger. My family is in danger. I need to go and do something. Now, you can question somebody who did something, you know, hundreds of years ago, sure, uh, thousands of years ago. Um, but it feels a lot like what you're saying now. Like, yeah. like this has literally been going on for thousands of years. Yeah, it's how women are hardwired and you can't reverse engineer that. Like, like I said, they're trying to make men more feminine. Like you can't, you just can't reverse engineer that. I'm just never going to be attracted to a feminine man because one day I'll be pregnant and I won't be able to work. And then I'm like, shit, now who's going to provide for me? Now I'm in my most vulnerable state. Like I have a child. I have, you know, you, you need somebody to provide for you. That's why women will always date up 
that's all, that's all you can do because it, everything's about survival. Everything's about evolution. It's why people social climb. It's why people, you know, the, the whole thing, everything comes down to evolution. Everything is about human survival. Um, and so even as a man dating down, it's so that you can make sure that your bloodline goes on and on and your legacy lives on forever through all the children you have with this younger woman who has more time to give you more children. Um, and yeah, they're just trying to reverse engineer it, break down the family unit. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency and foreign exchange market liquidity for many of the world's largest crypto engaged financial institutions. The BCB business accounts allow businesses to load fiat currency and cryptocurrencies for payments, operations, and trading purposes. BCB's Blink Network is the European crypto industry's first instant settlements network and one of the first real-time payment networks of its kind to allow free real-time transactions across fiat and digital currencies. BCB's vision is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking. Find out more by visiting bcbgroup.com slash pomp today. bcbgroup.com slash pomp. This episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all your devices, making it easy to send, receive, and exchange over 150 crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, that's exodus.com slash pomp. Go check him out for your free download today. How much of this um, ultimately boils down to uh, the message that you're delivering is uh, saying, hey, look, this is how much, this is how evolution, human nature works. Uh, does it violate if a woman says, no, I want to be the CEO, I want to be successful, I, I am ambitious, or or whatever kind of criteria that uh, I think in some ways feminism uh, stands for, like, is it still valid within the framework that you're providing where a woman can uh, marry up or, or seek, you know, uh, uh, security or, or somebody to provide for them, but also be successful as well? Like, are these two things at odds with each other or can they both be true? They're both true. Like, I'm an example of why it's true. Because okay, I, if I, if I don't make money, I'm not going to eat. Like, it's that simple. Like, I don't come from money. You know, I, I, my dad's not going to pay my rent. Like, I got, I'd have to go home. And I don't, I'm not going back to, back to that little town where I came from. Right. So like, I have to make money in order to survive. Right. And I think a lot of entrepreneurial women do what they do for survival purposes. Um, and there's also a lot of feminism, um, indoctrination as well. That's something which I experienced. So in, in, um, in the movies growing up, it's always the tomboy, the tough girl that's celebrated and she gets the guy. It's never the girly girl in the prom dress with the pink and the glitter. Right. And so when I saw that, I was all like, yeah, I want to be the tomboy. Everybody loves the tomboy boy, you know, the cool one that plays football. That was like indoctrination in my brain for years and years and years. It wasn't until I was in my like early mid to mid twenties. And I was like, actually, that doesn't really resonate with me. I actually feel more beautiful and at peace when I'm behaving in a more feminine manner. Um, so I think both are true because yes, you do have to make money um, in order to survive and you need to be an entrepreneur in order to make survival money. You're not going to get survival fuck you kind of money if you're um, if you're in your nine to five as somebody's assistant. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But then, yes, they are at odds with each other because you become more masculine because that's what is necessary. 
Like I, one of my videos, somebody commented and was like, does she not realize she comes across as masculine? And it's like, I know, but this is because I'm in a work setting and I'm trying to get a message out there. And if I say my message in a really sweet and loving way, you know, it's not going to be as aggressive, but the, the trick is to know when to turn it off. And I think that's what a lot of women can't do. Um, especially when you work in an environment whereby you're in an office and you're, you are the CEO and you've got to remain masculine and tough in order to have everyone beneath you, including men, um, to respect you and respect your authority. Um, that can, and you're in that environment all day, every single day. That is hard to switch off. That, that is very, very difficult. And if you are with a man and you're going to bring that kind of energy home, there's going to be a problem. Um, but what I've tried to do because I'm like hyper aware of everything too hyper aware probably. Um, but I try to find a balance in the way that I portray my message, the amount of time I spend in certain energies. Um, I hire men to do the more masculine side of things. So like when it comes to business, I have a man that negotiates for me. Um, cause number one, he'll do better than I will when it comes to the negotiation. Um, number two, people will respect him more, which is great. And that's okay. And number three, um, I don't want to get into my masculine energy. I am now, I guess, supposedly, because like we're having a conversation and this is necessary. But other than that, like I don't want to spend too much time in that energy. Why do you think he's a better negotiator than you? Um, well, he's better at taking risk than I am. Okay, um, and that. well, I've seen him like fuck up with the risk before, <laughs> but overall, like he's better at taking risk than me. We've been in situations where we've been offered money and I'll be like, take it, take it, take it. And then he'll be like, Leia, shut the fuck up. We are not taking this. And then he doubles it. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas I would have settled so many situations I've seen, I would have settled. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, is, is that a, a male female thing yes. or is that just an experience thing? Uh, it's, I think it's a male female thing. I can get into that energy. Like, don't get me wrong. I can get into an energy where like, I can like, be the best negotiator, but it requires time in your masculine. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spend too much time in that energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, and I've done that before. And now I'm like trying to just balance it out. It's really important mm -hmm. um, as a woman. So yeah, it's, it's getting that balance. Um, and like I said, I can get in it, but it, 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 you got to be in that for a lot, for an extended period of time. So what would you say to women who are like, okay, cool. I, everything you're saying, I agree with, but like dudes are scared of me when I'm like that. But like, I, like I intimidate men, uh, by having like the masculine energy. Well, calm it down. Just don't be masculine in, in a man's company. <laughs> like if I, if I want to date or something, if I'm trying to like get a man, you know, get him to like me. Oh, I'm pleasant. Like I'm not, I, I'm pleasant now, but I'm, but I'm not like this. Like right now I'm like aggressive with you. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to be like that at all ever. Let him lead. Mm -hmm. Don't try to compete with him. Just sit back. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the male-female dynamic anyway, because it's like an opportunity for you to just switch off and relax and mm -hmm. like let him do what he needs to do. Um, and he'll enjoy that more. Um, and the only men that I that I date are all masculine men and they say that I'm feminine or whatever, you know? Like, so I, 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 I'm just hyper aware of the situation. And mm -hmm. I think don't lead with your career because you don't give a fuck. Like that's for starters. Wait, you know? explain that. Well, a woman cares about a man's career because she needs to know that he can protect and provide, mm -hmm. right? A man doesn't care about a woman's career. He doesn't add anything. He cares about how nurturing you are. How kind are you? 
Also, how healthy and fit are you? Because I, I want you to raise my children. Mm -hmm. That's what he cares about. Again, it's back to evolution. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Of course, you know, a man can be like, wow, you've done really amazing. I love what you do. And, and that's great because, you know, for example, me, I love what I do. And I'd hope somebody would um, would value what I do and value my opinions and stuff like that. But, but it's not but it's not the deal breaker. You know, it's not, you know, it's not, wow, she has a podcast. I must marry her. I'm more attracted to her now. No, but as a man, it's like, wow, he's got a podcast. That's hot. He's successful. That's hot. I want to marry him now, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's, men don't care. What, what about uh, men who say that they want intelligent women? Do you mm. think that that's true or do you think that they're bullshitting? I think that's true. I think yeah. men that say they don't want intelligent women are bullshitting because okay. ultimately like it's a partnership. And if do you want a dumb woman raising your children? Yeah. She doesn't have the, to my friends who are like, oh, I, uh, like they don't explicitly say it, but like they basically are like, that's not like the most important thing. Uh, and sometimes they use career as a proxy of like, um, uh, I, I, I'm not so worried about like what the career is. I always just think about uh, the fact that like, don't you want to have friends who are smart, who are ambitious, who are going to teach your kids to do this or whatever? Like uh, most of my friends, I'm sure there's exce exceptions. I won't call them out. But like <laughs> most of my friends, I think, uh, don't want to be surrounded by like a dumb person every of day. Of course, exactly. And that's on both sides. Like the women don't want to be around a dumb dude all day long and a guy doesn't want to be around a dumb woman all day. Um, and so it just feels like uh, maybe people are like performing a little bit, mm. right? And, and they don't want to explicitly say it because they feel like it's too harsh or like too honest, which is like a whole other thing. It feels like society in general uh, especially before the internet was like, just lied to each other. Like nobody wanted to actually say the truth. Now with mm. the internet, it's much easier to say the truth. Um, but the truth scares the shit out of a lot of people as well. Yeah. The truth is terrifying. Yeah. And that's why Andrew was banned. Um, because like I said, we live in this like snowflake generation whereby people can't um, process the harsh realities that they're hearing. Um, like I just had my birthday, which is all very exciting, but you know, it's like another year older. So I'm just like, okay, like, you know, you just, you, you just think about these things. And, and I think that's important. Um, and back to the idea of like being with an intelligent woman, 100%, I think a man should be with an intelligent woman. Like, what, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You want to live with this person all day? You can't have a conversation with her. And I think, I mean, you can, I mean, I think you're an example of this. Like a man likes to bounce his ideas off, off his woman. Let's yeah. build together, build something amazing together. For sure, for sure. I, ju I just think like, you know, oh, she's not worth hundreds of millions. Darn it, no. Well, one of the things, uh, man, we're going to get really into some topics here now right. that people uh, are going to get mad about. But uh, one of the secrets women uh, who are listening that just I've never understood is I will sometimes go to a dinner and it's all guys there. And like a guy will make a comment essentially like, yeah, like, this dinner was a great excuse for me to get away from my wife. Aww. And I always am just kind of like, dude, why are you married? Right? Like, like just like to me, I, I, I don't know. And unfortunately it's usually like older guys. Cause I think that uh, there was probably um, a different standard at the time. Like I feel like now maybe younger people, uh, we know the divorce rate has gone up, but like people who aren't happy, just like leave the relationship. And there's a bunch of negative side effects to that. But that's one of those things that always like kind of, I don't know. It's like, what is going on here? And then if you think also, uh, my wife and I talk about this too, of like, if you don't like the person that you're married with, like, what do you do every day? Right? Like all of our friends, I, I think they like really enjoy being with each other. And if you ask them like what they do on the weekends or whatever, like they hang out with each other. Yeah. Like if they go to dinners, they go together and, and, and all this stuff. Uh, but like, if you don't like your significant other, do you just like sit on the couch and both like stare at your phone and not talk while like the TV is playing <laughs> and like pray that they don't ask you a question? 
I've seen couples do that at dinners and it's heartbreaking. Like, like what's going on? People get married for the wrong reasons. Like I could have gotten married like two years ago, mm-hmm. but I was like, no, I know I'm going to wake up one day and be like, you're not it. Um, people get married for the wrong reasons, whether it's because, um, like I'd say my grandma got married for the wrong reasons. Like my grandparents are amazing, but she got married for the wrong reasons. She got married in 1951 or something like that. And it's because she needed to get out the house. She needed a man to provide for her and, and that was it. And they got married. Were, were, were they incredibly happy? I don't know. I think grandma could have been happier, um, but it's people just marry for the wrong reasons. Um, and that is why it's good nowadays and why I would tell women like, you know, secretly like, yeah, make sure you've got your own money. Like, you know, you don't want to be stuck with somebody. Um, so I, I do like modern times to an extent because it has um, allowed us, number one, to see how the previous generations messed it up. Um, and also, um, as women, we are more empowered now. Um, and so we can choose, we don't have to just pick the first man that comes to save us. Like I've been in certain situations and been like, yeah, if this was the fifties, I would have married you, but I'm not going to, um, money in relationships is really interesting because, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, for decades and decades and decades, it was like, okay, get married. Like everyone puts their finances all together yeah. and it's like, hey, there's one big account for the household or, or whatever. It's, it's a business. Yeah, to some degree, yeah. for, w- without a doubt. And then there's almost this like whisper network. I think of women started to like uh, uh, talk about like, hey, make sure you have almost like a secret bank account, like yeah. have your own money, ha- you know, be able to have some level of uh, resilience. But I actually think that like the default in every relationship, there would be less like, uh, uh, um, like conflict and less, uh, arguments. If people said, Hey, there's actually three bank accounts. Mm. Like each person in the relationship has their own bank account and there's a shared bank account. And guess what? Like you can do whatever the hell you want with your own money. And then like the shared money, like people figure out how to do that. And to me, um, if people know that money is the number one driver of arguments and ultimately of divorce, like just solve the problem up front when everything's like good so that you never get in those situations. But for some reason there ends up being this like, uh, uh, no one can like say that, mm. right? It, it feels like that is like not the way that it's allowed to be talked about. It has to be like, oh, you should have your own money because like, you know, God forbid anything ever happens. Like why can't we as a society just come out and say like, hey, people argue over money. Money's really dumb. And like people who love each other literally will get divorced over money. Like just solve the problem up front and prepare to be in a situation where you can drastically reduce the number of arguments in the future. The same way we talk about there should be financial literacy in schools. Should there be like marriage literacy in schools? <laughs> how to like, how to like navigate relationships, like how to be emotionally resilient, how to have a conversation without, without bringing the other person down rather than saying, you, you know, I like, I don't like, I don't, you know, I don't like you because you did this rather than saying, I don't like how you did that. So it's like pointing at the problem rather than the person that would be really useful. But that's like conflict resolution that you can use in marriage, in business, in your interpersonal like relationship, like all these different things that you can do. But for some reason, we don't teach that at all. So people just don't know that. Mm. But then two is like, because of the emotional component of marriage, like it just gets exasperated even more. And then people have a hard time of being able to say like, you were right, I was wrong. 
I think it would be really useful financial literacy and uh, mental resilience, emotional resilience, and how to negotiate, right? Mm -hmm. I had um, Chris Voss on my show the other day, and he's so cool because he talks about hostage negotiation, but then he brings it to business. And then I'm pretty sure he brings it to relationships. Mm -hmm. And the guy that I I mentioned earlier that does a lot of my um, negotiating for me, he even says to me like, Leia, you, he's like, you don't know this because you're a woman. So you don't, you don't have to think like this. But he's like, as a man, when I'm like, out trying to get a woman and you know I, I'm praying or whatever um you got to behave in a certain way and he's like that negotiation between a man and a woman is the same in business like play hard to get you know something so simple like but it's a mimetic response again it goes back to human nature like this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years yes. of every human wants what they can't have yes and why would you make yourself too available for somebody um when they haven't done anything for you because then you become suspicious right so an, I, an example of this is like a male feminist. Like that creeps me out. Why are you a male feminist? Now I'm suspicious of you, right? Like I haven't done anything for you. You don't know me. And you're like trying to fight my battles that I don't even have. Like that makes me suspicious. If a man comes on too strong, I'm suspicious. There's this guy that lives in my building that won't stop texting me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this is too much. Like, How did he get your number? I, oh, don't even ask. That's another, that's another conversation. Right, right. Um, I, yeah, that's another conversation. But he invited me on a yacht, right? And then he invited, and he was going to like cook me this big, no, sorry, he's going to get a chef to cook this big Korean dinner on a yacht, right? I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not that bloody hungry. But I'm isn't not that going. like the amazing date that a bunch of women would want to go Why would he give that to me? What have I done for him? I don't deserve it yet. Mm-hmm. What, what if I'm a piece of shit? What if I'm boring? What if I like, why would you, because of how I look. Now you're now I'm like, oh, this guy only wants to have sex with me mm-hmm. because he doesn't know anything else about me other than the way that I look. Um, and so he's doing too much. What am I doing for you? Everything's about exchange. Like, what am I doing for you? Nothing. You know, maybe, okay, like I said, I just had my birthday. Maybe if we'd been dating for like nine months or whatever, and he wants to do that on my birthday, I'll be like, damn, let's go. Thanks, babe. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've been such a great girlfriend. So here's a great treat, you know. Um, but that makes me suspicious of him. And so now I'm really not answering his text messages. Does it work the other way? Like, are there things that women can do that men should be suspicious of? Yeah, not in the same way. Um, that's a good question, actually. I need to think about that. I think there are red flags. Um, and I think there are things that men should be- Like, what, what would be the red flags? I don't think a woman can ever give a man too much in the beginning, um, especially if he's like successful and high value and all this rubbish, you know, I think, you know, she sees something good and she's like, pick me, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. She likes him, which is fine. I think there are red flags. Like if she's trying to compete with you, you know, and if she's trying to like um, emasculate you, um, disrespect you in public, um, you know, dis- insult you, um, fight with everything you're saying. If she doesn't want to help you, you know, make your life easier. Those things are red flags. But in terms of like coming on too strong, I think in general, anyone can come on too strong, but I don't, but I don't think it, there's that same, like be suspicious of her mm-hmm. as like the other way around. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends, uh, thankfully they've been uh, very successful. So I get to just hang out with them. Um, but uh, those that are single, they're deathly afraid of actually meeting somebody who they like because they're suspicious because people will figure out that they're successful and then Mm -hmm. they don't know uh, whether it's because they're successful or because they really like them. And I find it fascinating to talk to them and, you know, kind of every couple of months or whatever we'll be at dinner and I'll be, Hey, you know, what's going on with the, with the love life. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they, 
have a very, very hard time because mm. uh, they feel like every single person they meet is there for the wrong reasons. And so it goes back to like, are you better off actually meeting somebody earlier in your life rather than later in your life? And you can go to the extreme of like, if you're like a 55 year old man who's a billionaire, I don't know how successful your dating life is going to be, you know, to find somebody who you can fall in love with for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you get lucky because you only got like 20 years left (laughs) that you can make it 20 years. But like, I I do think that some of those dynamics play into it where uh, it's a psychological thing that people end up uh, uh, almost like talking themselves out of uh, because they're so scared. It's a really good point. Um, Tell me if I'm wrong, but this is the way I would look at it. Um, If you're that successful as a man and you've been and you've been able to make that much money, then that must come with a certain level of intelligence um, and self-awareness. And so I think it should be easy to suss somebody out. I think the same way you can suss out when they're like- they lie. That's what they do. The girls, they, they lie? No, 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 no. The, oh, the guys? The guys, they lie. They basically, when they meet somebody, they'll they not lie about their name or anything, but they'll lie about like what they do, mm. right? And like, they'll like almost like downplay. It's, it, it goes back to a lot of things in life. Um, uh, actually, my wife told me this one time and I, I thought it was really good and I'm going to screw it up, which she'll give me shit about. <laughs> but like basically the idea of when you haven't made it yet, you you uh, try to play up everything, mm. right? If, if you like read the, um, if you read the bio, of a speaker Correct. and they're, and it's 17 pages long. You're like, you might be full of shit. Right. Yeah. But then if you read the bio of somebody who's hyper successful, it's like nothing. Same as what they wear. Right. Yes. Because when you're not successful, you play up and you wear the gold uh, chains and, and you uh, drive the fancy car and like do all these different things. And then almost like you reach a certain point of success and then like it goes opposite and they like downplay it. Now that doesn't mean that they don't own a fancy car or uh, they don't have a mansion or a yacht or, or whatever, but it's a different like uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, way of uh, exuding the wealth. Mm-hmm. And so intelligence is also the same way. Success is the same way in, in terms of when they meet people. Like how many times do you hear stories of um uh, somebody is uh, hyper successful, they meet somebody and then they leave the dinner and they're like, I didn't know that that person, like, oh my God, I had no clue. And it's like, in some way you ascribe more value, more status to that person who downplayed it rather than the person who's sitting there the entire dinner and they're telling you about how amazing they are and everyone's like, dude, shut the fuck up. 100%. (laughs) There's a a networking um, association or whatever in Miami and um, I met a guy and he is like a super rich Bitcoiner. Like I'm talking early, early, early days. He then built a company, sold it for like hundreds and hundreds of millions. This guy is done. He doesn't even work, right? Mm-hmm. He is so chill. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I was sitting next to him. He's, and he's also a socialist as well. And I was like, bro, <laughs> I was like, why are you a socialist? You know? He was cool until that <laughs> yeah, part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's lovely. And Being a socialist yeah. in Miami has to be like a death sentence, <laughs> yeah. essentially, because there are so many people from Latin America who are like, we've seen this experiment. It does not work. Yeah, literally. <laughs> that's why I love it here. Um, but no, 100%. It's also like when people put in their bio, like, as seen on CNBC, Fox, I'm like, don't do that. And something which I do on the side as well is um, I help like coach people with their social media and, mm-hmm. and branding and marketing and stuff like that. And I always tell them for their bios on Twitter, just keep it very clean, mm-hmm. very basic. That's it. Don't hype yourself up. Yeah. Remain someone of mystery. Well, it, it's um, they're, they're playing the status game, obviously, yeah. right? Which uh, everyone does. Uh, to some degree, but I do think that it's interesting of like the rise and then at some point there's a tipping point. Yes. And like, then it becomes like downplaying a lot Mm -hmm. of different things, which um, again, uh, I think 
dating as somebody who is uh, young and not yet successful versus somebody who is uh, older and successful are two completely different games and, and people just don't talk about it. I, I don't know. There's so many things that I, I feel like I have conversations with friends in private that I'm like, why don't people just talk about this stuff? Like, yeah. It seems so weird. They, people don't talk about anything. There's so much we should talk, like people should talk about. But the the thing about downplaying as a man, I spoke to somebody about this the other day. He's 28. And I said to him, I was like, don't downplay it too much. Like, you know, don't, don't like uh, underestimate um, the way a woman is hardwired. She needs to know that you can protect and provide, you know, especially somebody like me. Like I need to know when the apocalypse comes, you know, when like, <laughs> when they tell you, if you don't take that injection, you're fired. I need to know that like, you're fine. You don't need to take the injection and you don't, you know, you, you can leave your nine to five. Right. Um, so don't downplay it too much. But yeah, of course, like, you don't need to say like, I have hundreds and hundreds of millions and all mm. this stuff. Um, I think there's a really fine line. Um, but I do think your friends like surely should just know what a woman's after. And it's, I mean, especially in Miami, you'd it's be so shocked. obvious. You'd, really? be sh- you'd be shocked at how many of them, well, they like, eventually they, they uh, can flush it out. But yeah. like, I've got friends who have dated a girl for six, nine, 12 months. And then like, oh. What was, what, what, what was it? How did it's you notice? Different. Like, uh, you usually, um, it almost feels like uh, uh, they weren't after something other than like the person. Mm. And then like, it just becomes obvious over time. It's usually oh. not like, oh, I had a conversation. She said some magic word and like, now I'm out. Mm. Uh, it's usually, uh, you know, it, like in many relationships, I think that uh, um, everyone always thinks about uh, people in relationships grow apart, but also like friends grow apart. Mm. And so um, I have this theory that uh, there's only really two ways that people end up together uh, in a relationship for a long period of time. Tell me. <laughs> it's either uh, you meet like very early in life, so high school or college maybe, um, and you meet at the same uh, like status level to some degree. And then what you do is uh, you evolve together. So uh, you go through college graduation together, your first jobs together, your first uh, promotions, bonuses, you start a company, wh- whatever the thing is, but like you you do that together and you successfully navigate all of those changes in your life together because you're both going through them at the same time and for whatever reason, you're, you're able to do that successfully. The only other way that relationships really work is like you both have your own paths and at some point you meet down the road after you've both had some level of success Because what I think ends up happening is that, uh, one, the people who meet in high school and college, like it becomes obvious, hey, we can't navigate all these evolutions together. So like those couples break up. Uh, But also people who meet and somebody is like super successful earlier in their career than the other person, a lot of times those relationships don't work because uh, it goes back to like when you go home, who do you talk to? You talk to your significant other. And like, I always think about like how many bad decisions in the world happen because people are asking their significant other who knows nothing Mm -hmm. about the situation or about the industry or whatever for advice. Like most people probably should not be asking their spouse for advice on like what to do at work. If uh, you're a corporate America uh, like executive and she is a entrepreneur running like a small business on Main Street. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much overlap there is, right? Like, should it be like uh, a small business owner calling up a McKinsey consultant and being like, hey, what should I do with my business? Like, probably gonna get bad advice. Also, the McKinsey consultant calling up the small business yeah. and being like, hey, we're trying to do this tax thing. <laughs> like, small business is like, ah, I don't know, I just call my accountant, right? So it is like who you ask for advice is almost as important as the advice you get, but uh, it goes back to these relationships and like, it, 
I don't know, picking the right person to spend time with, who you're probably gonna spend the most time with is probably top one, two decisions you make in your life. 100%. And it's hard. Like you tell me, how did, how did you know your wife was the one? Uh, I, we pretty much knew almost immediately, but- As uh, soon as you met? For the most part, yeah. That's what I think is true. But, I think, yeah. but like when we met, uh, the very first conversation we had, um, there was a number of things. I, I don't know if she's comfortable with me sharing, okay. uh, but um, <laughs> there's a number of things that we talked about that it was just like very obvious, like, oh, mm. this person and I think very similarly. Uh, we have similar ambitions. And uh, um, there was like a mutual respect, but also this like uh, similar attitude mm. of like um, – anything that happens in the future, like there's a way to figure it out and like you can do that with somebody else. So it's just like a whole bunch of things and and it's not like, oh, we're gonna get married one day and we're gonna have kids and like, like anybody who says that, like you're just a egotistical, arrogant, amazing, hilarious yeah. uh, uh, bullshitter, right? Yeah. But like I respect the shit out of the bullshit. Um, but I think what is obvious is like, hey, this person is someone I wanna spend a lot more time with. Yeah. And then it like evolves over time into like, oh, okay, like, uh, we've now done this for a year, now two years or, you know, whatever. And then eventually it's like, oh, okay, like, yes, I have de-risked the situation. Yeah. <laughs> which no one likes to talk about it that way, but like I have de-risked the situation where my confidence level has gone up. Mm. Because I always, um, uh, what there's all these shows now. Uh, if you're like scrolling through Netflix and it's like, you know, get married on the first date or like uh, arranged marriage or this or that. And you're like, what is the probability that those two people end up being happy? Like near yeah. zero. But somebody who's dated, even if it's for six months, 12 months, uh, two years, whatever, like you should have higher probability uh, of success and higher confidence in your decision-making if you have may, many more data points. Like that's all dating really is. I love the fact that you said that you knew straight away because I think that is true. I think, it's, I don't know how old you were when you guys met, but I think you get to a certain point um, or an age or whatever where you meet someone, you're like, I just know. Like you just know. Um, so I'm always like stressing. I forget who it is. It might be algorithms uh, to live by or uh, super forecasters. It, I can't remember which book. Uh, I read them both at the same time, so I, I can't remember which one it was in. Um, but in one of those books, they talk about this idea of uh, you should, if you, if you have an unknown number of uh, options, basically what you should do is once you've uh, looked at, I think it's 33 or 50%. I can't remember. I think it might be 33%. Once you've looked at 33% of the options, you should pick the next best one. So like mm. if, if you looked at 33% of your options, the next thing you see, like, this is great. You have enough of like a baseline to compare it against Yeah. where like you probably have a pretty high degree of confidence in your decision-making but you don't wait till you see all, you know, 100% of the options. And then you're like, shit, yeah. option 42 was the one I should have went with. Yeah. And then you have like regret. And so it's this fascinating thing around like human psychology of like, a lot of people don't get married at 18. Yeah. Now some people do, but for the most part, people don't. And so they've probably dated or been on dates or talked to a bunch of people 25, 26, 27 years old, somewhere in that range, they have enough of like a baseline of, okay, here's the things I like, exactly. things I don't like, here's the the experiences I like, the type of person I like, whatever. Like, And then they basically pick. And the picking is a double opt-in. That's the other thing people forget. Okay. It's not just like, uh, we don't live, in America, we don't live in a society where like people are like, that one. But it mine. feels like that. It feels like you get. No, it, come on. No, no. And, and no, in terms of what you were saying though, because oh. like you have this baseline, right? Oh, so yeah, you know yeah. what you like and what you don't like. But once you have all that information, you're just, you, you see it. 
And yeah, but like, how many times does somebody works. pick? But somebody if somebody picks and the other person's like, no, nah, that's not for oh, me. Yeah, so the yeah, double yeah, opt-in yeah. is both people are saying, oh, I see. Yeah. hey, yes, this is for me. And so it, it ends <laughs> up leading. The reason why it's, it's so fascinating is because I actually think uh, a part of the conversation that a lot of people haven't had is when uh, the pandemic happened. Yeah. Most people look to their significant other for health advice, for personal safety, for should we move, should we not? Yeah. Like all these things. And I have a lot of friends uh, who, um, or use pregnant women as an example. My wife was pregnant uh, uh, during this. And so uh, obviously there was a lot more thought process that goes into just not like, hey, what are her and I gonna do? But also like there's a baby and what are all science, all this stuff. Uh, we're not scientists. So like <laughs> you know, doing, doing our best here. Uh, we called a bunch of people, like did all this stuff. But we have friends who are pregnant and like, they just like got in line and were like, let's go. <laughs> to get to get it. To get, yeah, yeah, to get yeah, the yeah, shot. Yeah. And then we were like, hey, did you even look like, I don't, like the conclusion doesn't matter as much as the process. And they were like, oh, maybe I should have like, wow. like researched more or like thought. And I was like, by the way, I like your decision, your decision, like whatever. I, I'm not here to like be prescriptive to anybody, but like, you didn't even like do any research. Yeah. For all you know, it could be absolutely disastrous for a child or it could not be, but you don't know. And that's when I realized I was like, holy shit, critical thinking is absolutely non-existent in fucking society because the mainstream narrative just dominates. Absolutely. The mainstream narrative is aggressive and it's almost impossible to fight. Um, the whole thing with COVID was mind-blowing. Like I had a friend, um, she came over to my house and was um and was genuinely like arguing with me about how like it's dangerous and you know, she doesn't want to pass something on to her, her parents. And I'm like, why are you here then? Like the lack of, uh, the, the, the cognitive dissonance that people can't quite understand, you know, like my body, my choice for abortion. But then when it comes to vaccines, it's not your body. Sorry, it's your body, my choice, you know? But you're allowed to say that. Yeah. If men said that, it well, may no, be I'm not. Uh, I, I might be allowed, I don't know. I got like so much hate when I said vaccines, my my body, my choice. Um, the, the cognitive dissonance that we saw over the last two years was absolutely mind blowing. And actually, um, my whole life is like changed because of that. Why? Like I am now prepared. Every choice that I make is with the idea in mind that tyranny is right around the corner. So like I said, I'm Jewish and growing up um, in Europe, um, we were always told, um, Holocaust survivors were always told to have your bags packed mm -hmm. because you never know when something's coming, right? Always have your bags packed. Um, and I never really like internalized that because I'm just like, well, I'm happy here in England. Everything's good. It wasn't until COVID that that mentality really, really made sense. Now, every decision I make moving forward is knowing that tyranny is right around the corner. So when I pick a partner, it's like, can you flee with me? Are you my apocalypse partner? Like I said, when the, when they tell you take the medicine, like how, how are you going to navigate that? Can you think critically to actually see that this could be potentially dangerous or did you just get it out of convenience and you didn't even think about it, you know, because that's a red flag. So every decision I make where I'm living, how I, you know, do my finances, holding Bitcoin, everything that I do is knowing that tyranny is right around the corner. And so I always prepare accordingly. Yeah. I, I do think a lot about process versus outcome and, uh, people who make decisions, whether they work or not, or they're good decisions, bad decisions in hindsight, uh, how many of them actually have the rigor to think through um, all of their options mm. and then make a highly calculated, high probability decision? And what scares me is that that number is not very high. 
Like if you look at society in general, um, 5%, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, right? Well, it's because humans are, um, will always take the easy path. We always take the path of least resistance. And so we will never wake up to certain realities until um, we are physically in pain. I think it was Yuri Bezmenov that said, you will not know that you are, that you are, um, that you are um, being manipulated. You will not know that society is being demoralized. You will not know that you are literally living under tyranny until you're on your way to the gas chambers. That's the only way you will know. And I think the same thing is true for COVID and the vaccines. It's like, you took that thing without even thinking about it, right? I think today I saw the next booster is now available, but that um, but they won't put but that hasn't got finished human trials. Um, so that's clearly dangerous. Um, but you won't know until like maybe you can't get pregnant, maybe you can't have children, maybe you have health issues, maybe as a man you now have a heart problem. You won't know until you're physically in pain because that's how the human mind works. I also think it's like a defense mechanism as well, because it's like leaving the matrix. It's too painful to realize that everything is a scam. Everything is orchestrated. You know, whether it's the financial system, feminism, the war on masculinity, like you don't know that all of this is orchestrated until you physically feel it. Um, and you don't want to wake up to that. Like I know, I know people who are like in their sixties and, you know, they thought that, you know, the nine to five and giving your life to the man was a good idea. And it's too painful to pull them out. Um, which is why like, we are so privileged to be in this era whereby we actually have access to alternative information. I think like my rabbit hole with all of this started probably with Jordan Peterson, because he's a very kind of, um, a relatable, approachable individual because he wears the three-piece suit, like you said. You know, he's a doctor, a professor, you trust him. Um, and so, yeah, that is uh, information that I would never have had access to if I was born in like the 50s, the 60s, whenever it was. Um, and so with that mindset, yeah, I, I can, I can at an early age, know the truth. But you hit a certain age and it's too hard to come out of the matrix. This episode is brought to you by Compass Mining, the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. You can do it at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. All you need to do to start mining your own Bitcoin is go to compassmining.io today. Again, if you want to get into Bitcoin mining, go check out compassmining.io today. This episode is brought to you by LMAX Digital, the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of liquidity and they have a 100% uptime track record through all the volatility spikes. LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra low latency technology means that LMAX Digital is the market leading solution for institutions across crypto trading and custodial services. LMAX Digital, secure, liquid, and trusted. Go learn more at lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. Again, that's lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. I have a, a framework. I call it the modern day bullshit meter. Oh, yeah. And the best way to do this is there's three questions that you ask. When somebody tells you something, you say, why? Mm. They then say, usually, some appeal to expertise or uh, uh, kind of status. They'll say, because so-and-so said it. And then you say, uh, uh, prove it. So it's why? says who, prove it. Mm. And you can apply this across almost every aspect of your life. Just somebody says something, why, says who, prove it. Mm. And what you find is by asking those three simple questions, a very large portion of the things that you're told, you immediately are like, I think I need to do more research on this because that sounds like bullshit. Mm. And 
what's scary about it is actually very foundational things to our life that we previously thought were true. Now, all of a sudden, it's not so much that we like over rotate to like what I'll call like the conspiracy theory land. And it's like, oh my God, like everyone's like got some plot to like kill us all or whatever. But it's just that like, man, this thing that I took as fact, actually there's a lot of gray Mm. or there's a lot of nuance here that I wish that I had known years ago. And so whether it's around food, around exercise, whether it's around information you read on the internet, whatever, it's just why says who prove it. And it is scary how many things you end up, I've changed my mind or I now believe uh, a watered down version of what I Mm. believed or whatever. But like, why don't we teach that in school? I think it's, I think if you can change your mind after receiving more information, you are a genius and a great person, but so many people can't do that. Um, and there are people that I see on, on Twitter that have said crazy, crazy things, which kind of leads me to actually a, a side point, which I actually want to get your opinion on. Um, a lot of people say, you know, what, what we're talking about is how Bitcoiners feel, right? This is like a very Bitcoiner kind of conversation. Do you feel that there's um, like this divide and a political divide? So like Bitcoiners tend to be more right wing or libertarian. And then when you see that that random person who's like pro vaccine and, and they're a Bitcoiner, you're just like, I don't understand. Do you, do you does that confuse you? Um, I, I don't think we can paint a broad brush yeah. across all Bitcoiners because I think there's Bitcoiners on the right, there's Bitcoins on the left, there's Bitcoiners independent, libertarian, all these different like political parties. What I would say is uh, uh, I actually think of Bitcoin less as like a political kind of box and it's more about critical thinking. Mm. And now what ends up happening is uh, what you find in the political parties is that there's like the dogma like almost like a religious like fervor of just uh, whoever is the source of the the dogma, like I will follow them no matter what. Uh, and then there's the critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I always ask the folks in the political world uh, one question. I can quickly put them in. Are you dogma or are you a critical thinker? It's what is one thing that the other side believes that you agree with? Oh, that's a good question. And you either you either have something or you don't. And by the way, it doesn't even matter if it's like a big thing, a small thing, whatever. Mm. But the people who are like, they're wrong about everything. You're like, you're insane. Like you literally, this is now not about intellectual uh, humility or, or uh, uh, honesty. It's now become a religion. And so if you just say like, okay, uh, in the political world, there are definitely people who lean on one of these axes, but they do critically think and they can say, you know what? I actually think that uh, I agree with this. Or maybe my political party and this political party agree on it. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of screws people up. So when I think of the Bitcoin world, like that's all it is. It's just like people who think critically. Um, And by the way, like Bitcoiners are wrong about stuff all the time, Mm. right? I'm wrong about stuff all the time. You're wrong about stuff all the time. Like that is human nature. Nobody Mm. is right 100% of the time. But it goes back to process versus outcome. If you can focus on the process and say to somebody, I don't care what the actual end decision you made was. Did you have the right process to think through from a critical standpoint, uh, to not get swayed by the mainstream narrative, to have the courage and conviction to be independent uh, in your thought process and analysis? And then do you just have a good decision-making framework? Like a lot of times uh, when I'm talking like a founder, I'll say to them, hey, uh, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. And they'll like come up with some crazy reason why. And I'm like, okay, walk me through like, what were the options and why did you decide that? And what I'm trying to get at is like, what was the framework you used to make the decision? Mm-hmm. And more times than I wish that were true, they're just like, went with my gut. Mm. And like, by the way, like intuition is actually the uh, mm. totality of all of our experiences and like all these things that we've learned and whatever. Yes. So like, there's some like science to it, but like, why didn't you go look at this data set you have? Or why didn't you talk to this expert that you know or this or whatever? And then you just 
realize that like, no, in their head, they've categorized decisions. And this is a low value or not important decision. So they didn't spend a bunch of time on it, which maybe they're right, maybe they're not. But the high value decisions, they go and they create all these reports and, you know, analysis and all this stuff. And so you start to like try to unpack this and you just realize like good decision making is probably one of the key skills for adults to have, but also to teach children like we talked about earlier. And if you look at everywhere a kid goes, Outside of their parents, if their parents really care about this stuff, they get zero critical thinking education. Mm. None. So, like, we shouldn't be surprised that nobody can do it in society. They would never teach critical thinking in school. School literally empowers you to be this obedient individual, you know, like we had to, I don't know what it's like in America, but in England, um, we weren't allowed to just sit down. You know, we had to ask to sit down. We had to be told, you don't have this. Uh, I haven't been to school in a while, so maybe it changed. But (laughs) but yeah, we can just chill. No, no. We use, oh my God. Well, firstly, we wear school uniforms, right? Yep. So immediately we're in suits. Everyone uh, across the the country wears a uniform, a public or private school? Yes. Until you get to uh, 16 and uh, 17, 18, the last two years, you can wear what you want um, because you're an adult now. Um, But um, yeah, so you walk in and you stand behind your chair. And then the teacher says, you may now sit down. And then we sit down. Interesting. You don't have that in America? Uh, I'm sure there's some schools that do okay. it, but like definitely not in the public schools. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can wear pretty much whatever. I mean, th- there's some dress code, uh, how long you know dresses can be, or, or uh, uh, I don't think guys can wear like sleeveless shirts and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, there's like a dress code, but you can wear whatever you want. Um, and then uh, most classrooms... Uh, there's zero chance that there's any degree of like order. Uh, really? Well, you have to remember like How if you are uh, um, a huge generalization, but if you are a 50-year-old teacher, yeah, you've been doing it for 25 years and uh, you have a kid who's a, just an asshole. Like just they're disorderly, they're constantly talking, they're causing problems, like all this stuff. Yeah. Are you worried about the smart person that's like very well behaved, standing behind their chair yeah, and then waiting course. to be asked to sit down. Like, no, you're like, everyone sit down and shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like here's lesson plan, here's whatever. And so like, I feel for teachers because it, to me is like almost an impossible task. Uh, I actually know someone who's a teacher and, and, and every time I hear him talk about like the classroom and everything, I'm just like, dude, you, this is like the most important job in America. Mm-hmm. The problem is that you're a teacher plus a babysitter. Yeah. Right. Like, like you're a disciplinarian as well. And so much of the energy and focus goes to the disciplinarian component rather than the teaching component. And so naturally, like the kids that want to learn who aren't a problem, they're not getting 100% of the teacher on the teaching side. They're watching their teacher spend, I don't know, 10 minutes out of a 50 minute class, disciplining people, creating order, you know, passing your sheet, like all this crazy it's a stuff. Mess. It's an, it's, it's an it's absolute nuts. mess. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know that in America, it's not as like strict or ordered as it is in, in England. But I think I think the rule still sort of stands. They don't teach you critical thinking, no financial literacy. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. You have to ask for all these things. Um, There's and, some of that. Like you, you yeah. have to ask in, in most schools, you have to ask to go to the bathroom or, or whatever. But remember, America was built on like the revolution. Yeah. Right. And to some degree, uh, immigration and like the rebellion, the mm. the the ability to uh, uh, to some degree uh, make decisions for yourself, seek a better life. Like like there are some components of America that uh, I think are different than other countries, um, but there's still a lot of the same things around. Just like yeah, like it's built for the industrial age to control people, make them obedient, and put them in factories. Mm-hmm. 
And like it's done a pretty good job of that until we didn't need those people anymore. And now we need people who can think critically and, and you know, make their own path. We have a critical thinking crisis. I think the last two years literally just proved that. Um, and I wonder if we'll get to a point whereby people um, will start to wake up. I think COVID was an incredible opportunity for people to wake up. I actually think Donald Trump's presidency was an incredible opportunity for people to wake up. Um, I think actually Donald Trump was the turning point for me personally. Um in sort of realizing that we live in a snowflake generation. Um, the most funniest thing that he said was, if you're rich and you're a star, women will let you grab them by the pussy, right? That to me was such a turning point. That statement- I did not expect you to say that, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 that, that statement- <laughs> Why? It was so fascinating because it's true. And the fact that we can't have an honest and a nuanced conversation, me saying it's true is not nuanced, but the fact that we can't have an honest conversation about that, blew my mind. Because Are you saying that Donald Trump, Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson- and the, <laughs> I love and, all these men. <laughs> and the Stodics, like they're all saying the same thing? They're all saying the same thing because it's true. Like look at any rich, charismatic, successful, uh, strong, high status man. Women will flock to him. Not all women. That's not really something that I would do. And a lot of my friends aren't, we're not really like that. But most women will do that. Look at Miami. I, every time I go out in Miami, there's always a 60-year-old man on a date with an 18-year-old girl, okay? She'll let him. He doesn't mean you can just grab her without her consent. That's not what it means. It just means that when you're successful women, you, you can have your choice of women. And it was the fact that society was so um, aggravated by that, unable to take it in, in the spirit that it was meant because it was meant in a certain spirit because it wasn't said on stage or said in a locker room talk like context. Um, that for me was such a wake up. Um, Is it good for society to operate that way? Uh, yes, I think because um, free speech matters. Um, and I think- No, no, having, the, free, the free speech thing, well, because, let's well, just say they can say whatever they, yes. whatever they want to say, whether you agree with them or not, like that's the whole point of free speech. But like for that to be true, which I think we've said oh. over time- uh, for thousands and thousands of years, there's been this uh, dynamic. But like, is it good for a society to operate that way? I think that it's okay because there's because everything's consensual. You can grab her by the pussy. I believe doesn't actually mean grab any woman because you are entitled to her. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean that that like that. It means she will let you. You know, when you're a star, she will let you. Um, um, how can you police that anyway? How can you police the fact that young girls like rich men, older men? How, how do you police that? You can't. Um, I don't think it's bad. Um, in terms of like the language, I know you weren't really asking about that, but in terms of the language, like I don't even think that should be policed either because like if that offends you, good, toughen up, you know? Um, so that for me was a turning point, massively actually, uh, Donald Trump. Does it feel like um, the political discourse in America is different than in the UK or elsewhere, or is this the same thing? It's uh, a great question because well? um, unfortunately, Americanization is real mm -hmm. and um, we have severe Americanization in the UK. So in America, things are far more um, heated and aggravated, okay? Um, you have like, you, you identify by your, by, by your, by your ethnicity and where you come from, Italian American, uh, African American, um, Irish, whatever. We don't do that. So already you have this divide, right? It's not, we are one, we're American. You already have that divide in England. If you're black, you're black. If you're white, you're white. I don't say I'm Jewish English, you know, no, I'm English. 
and that's it. And so already you, so the difference there is like, you have that divide. Now during the whole BLM thing, um, what was going on in America was insane. And it actually broke my heart to start to see that come to the UK. So we saw black and white people at it um, in, in, in London. And that's not, that's not an English thing. We never have that. If you're black, great. If you're white, great. Like, of course, you know, racism exists in all societies. And of course there are white people who are awful, black people who are awful, whatever. But we don't have that racial, um, that aggravated tension. racial tension. Thank you. Yeah, we don't have that. Like you have it. Um, and, um, and Americanization is, 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 is real. And especially in terms of like feminism and stuff like that, like a lot of that was, was born here. Much of that was born here, you know, like the abortion debate, all of that was born here. Like we don't have that in England. You know, we don't have like these, um, these, um, like political topics, which are, what are they called? You know, when, um, like, pre like election topics, which mm -hmm. swing an election, like abortion, guns. Yep. What's that called? Like, just like a hot, like the hot topic or the, the, uh, there's a name for it where it's like a, uh, like a, like a top anyway, you know what I mean? Um, we don't have that. Like abortion is not like a single voter issue. Single voter issue, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, abortion is is not a single voter issue. Like we don't have any of this divide in England, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. Like I gave my views on Roe versus Wade, and I had um, my DMs flooded with English people, English girls that I went to school with. They were so outraged by by stuff that I'd posted about it, and I'm like, incredible. We we would never debate this. This mm -hmm. is an American issue which has resulted in me falling out with my English friends. Mm -hmm. So we weren't originally like that. Yeah. What do you and your friends talk about like in private? Mm, such a good question. I don't have many um, friends anymore, English friends anymore, um, because of the way I am. Um, entrepreneurial, um, critical thinking, not a feminist. Um, so I don't actually have many friends anymore, but we talk a lot about the ones that I do have. Um, we talk about men, you know, women talk about men a lot. We talk about- um, Like what about like, like, men that uh, you guys are interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis, like celebrities? Like, like what no, I don't care about celebrities. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We'll talk about um, like what we're looking for in a man, like what kind of men we like. I don't know. We'll talk about like, we'll talk a lot about politics. Like I'm really into this kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I'll talk about this stuff with my friends. Mm -hmm. um, and they engage and, and are interested as well. I'd like I said, I don't have many friends. I have very, very few friends. Um, I celebrated my birthday, like I said, the other day, a year ago, I had one friend at dinner with me, mm -hmm. one friend on my birthday, mm -hmm. because the rest can't handle who I am now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only in my 20s, so it's not like I've had years and years. Like a lot of the time we're friends with people who, we, um, who we've been... Um, who we happen to be with because of circumstance in school. Mm -hmm. So we were put together. Um, and I've never worked a normal job. Um, mm -hmm. I've always just hustled basically. So I've never been able to make friends, like colleagues like that, right? Um, so all the friends well, that I have- Well, if you think the school friends are fickle, the work friends are oh, probably really? even more fickle. I probably, know, I yeah. know. Well, it's true, it's true. But but I, I can tell the difference between you're, you're a work friend and like mm -hmm. you're a friend, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so we talk a lot about each other's lives, you know, mm -hmm. helping each other. How was your day? What are you going through? That's what we talk about. Um, I don't talk, I never talk about like- Kardashians, and <laughs> Love Island, and all that rubbish. I don't talk about that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and then, how different do you think your conversations are than, like, uh, I don't know, a group of woke women? Such a, again, amazing question. So, I had a friend that I used to be very friendly with, and I used to say to she's a teacher, and I used to say to her, um, "So, in September next year, when the school year, um, you know, when it comes, like." What, what are you doing? Are you going to like become the psychologist you said you always wanted to be? Are you moving? 
Um, so I asked her about her future. I asked um, a question which was about growth and development. She asked me, do you remember when we were in school in the lunch hall and we were, and you know, remember when that guy threw that piece of paper and it was so funny. That's the difference. There's no like growth mindset. I don't even think woke people are complaining all day. Like, I don't think they're sitting amongst their feminist friends and being like, the patriarchy is getting us. I just, I just don't think they care about the same things that I care about. Mm. Like the last two years, unfortunately, I've spoken a lot about like tyranny um, mm. and things like that. Um, but overall, you know, they're talking about probably more, more fun, lighthearted things, I guess. Yeah. They're talking about the past. I'm talking about the future. It growth. is something that I notice. Uh, there are certain people in your life that you come across and uh, they very much are still stuck in uh, things that happened in the yes. past um, and uh, things that they accomplished in the past and, and all that. And there's some people you meet that are very forward f- uh, focused. And uh, when I was younger, I probably had a more black and white view of it, of like mm. uh, uh, looking in the past is bad, looking to the future is good. Now I think I've uh, evolved those thoughts to just be like, are they happy? Mm. And whether it's somebody who looks to the future or somebody who looks to the past, like they may be happy doing that. And mm. if they're happy doing that, it's like amazing, right? Like that is actually the right answer. Mm. And uh, it goes back to this idea of like um, company culture some cultures uh, people think are like, oh, that's a good culture. That's a bad culture. What you find out uh, as you see more and more companies is like, there's no such thing as good or bad culture. It's all about a fit between the employee and the culture. Mm. So why is it that there's a certain culture? Some people are like, I absolutely love it. That's the best place I ever worked. And other people are like, that place was hell. I hate it. Mm. How could those two things be true? It's because it's about the fit. It's not about good company or uh, uh, culture or bad company culture. Same thing with the way people look at the future versus the past. Like, it's just, what do you, what do you find the most enjoyment in? Mm. I think the part that uh, is scary and, and sad to some degree is the people who are not happy and look in the past. Yes. Then you're like, oh, like just, you know, just be happy. Like, like pursue the happiness rather than pursue the like memories. Uh, but for the people who are happy doing that, then like knock themselves out, right? Speaking of company culture though, um, and what woke people talk about. So I used to work as a journalist in London and um, that was toxic because they were all woke. Um, and I was only 21 at the time. So I didn't know about like woke. I didn't know that I was so set in this mindset. I didn't know who the hell I was. I just felt away. Um, and do you know, you know, the actor Henry Cavill? Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. So he plays Superman, very attractive. And, um, he lives or lived around the corner from where our offices were. Okay. Um, and, um, somebody had said, oh, I saw Henry Cavill on the streets the other day. And, uh, one of the girls like, I hate him. This is the one that I mentioned earlier that was like, I'm not shaving. Right. So she was like, I hate him. And I was like, oh, why? Cause of his comments about the me too campaign. And she's just like, yes, Leia. And you don't think that's bad. How dare you? You are the biggest. Like, oh, I was like, whoa. What did he say? He said that, um, the me too campaign, um, made him feel like he couldn't pursue a woman anymore. And he's like, excuse me for having, you know, old fashioned traditional values, but I think a woman should be conquered, conquered and pursued. And and he believes in courtship. Um, and I totally agree. So he said he feels like now he'll be accused of like sexual harassment because we're so, Mm. we're so sensitive. Um, so this girl in, in an office environment went after me and not one of the like senior leadership in that room said a thing. Nobody did anything. It was okay to come after me um, verbally because, you know, I, I wasn't woke and I want to defend something that What's I- What's the craziest thing you saw inside of a media organization? Uh, oh, wow. I've got such a good story for you. So I was in Paris um, and I was working for the Chinese and I, yeah, exactly. So I was working for the Chinese and um, I went to cover an event. Um, it was the Huawei event, 5G. 
And um, I was interviewing a Chinese person from um, Huawei and I wasn't allowed to say certain things and do certain things. And I and I had all these uh, Chinese people around me watching. So you and I are in here right now, just us. Imagine if we had all these people in here censoring and watching every question you asked. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is like uh, censorship in real time. Um, and it, it was only allowed to be a fluff piece. And I wanted to ask about like, I think they'd been like blacklisted in, in America. And I was going to ask them, you know, do why, why was that? You know, why, why were you blacklisted in America? Mm -hmm. Why would you, why, why are you okay in Europe? You know, I was really, I wasn't allowed to ask anything. Mm -hmm. um, and it had to be a fluff piece. Um, so that blew my mind. Another thing which blew my mind as well, there was an Israel-Palestine um, um, uh, conflict, conflict, yeah, and protests in England, uh, in London, and I had to like edit the clips to like overlay for the news, um, and I and I and I felt as I was sitting there, I felt this power. I was like, wow, like I can really manipulate how this story is portrayed, mm -hmm. um, and I was like, wow, I can I can do that because I have all this footage, and I'm like, I could pick the Israel one first if I wanted of them crying then I could pick you know and I could literally manipulate how the story goes out uh, so that really blew my mind yeah it feels like uh inside of a lot of these organizations um it's kind of like a, a college mm. so when people are on a college campus like that is the universe to some degree and the people who start to look outside of the universe first uh, university first they end up um being in a uh, um a different place, mm -hmm. right? Like mentally. So like most people on a college campus, what are they worried about? Like classes, uh, kind of all the social bullshit, uh, parties, like all that type of stuff. And like, if you have that one friend who's like, no man, there's like this big world out there after we graduate. And, and you're like, like, dude, lighten up, like have some fun, right? Yeah. Like whatever. Uh, so like, it's a very self-encompassing environment and people get very sucked into it. And then when you like leave after like two or three years, you're like, who cares, yeah. right? But it, you had to like get out of it to some degree. Media companies, I think, are very similar in that like inside of the media company, they think that their media company, doesn't matter which one you go to, is the most important one and it's this like big, amazing, cool thing. And then like when they leave, I think they realize like, oh, nobody believes that bullshit. Like literally nobody in the real world is like, this is the truth. They just are like, that's one set of content creators <laughs> competing with the rest of the content creators on the internet. And so I've talked to a lot of uh, journalists, uh, two big secrets right now in the media world. It's like a bunch of them are leaving mm. and some of them have like openly left, but there's a bunch that are considered the like standard bearers of the traditional media. Like they are out they've already like talk about quiet quitting. Mm. They've already quit. Right. <laughs> They're just waiting to see like, what is the move that they can make from a career perspective that will put them in a good position. But like, if you sit down and grab coffee with them, like they'll just tell you like, this place is bullshit, complete fucking nonsense going on in here. Uh, everything from the woke stuff to, uh, uh, censorship, <clears throat> knowingly sharing misinformation, like also, and like, you're talking to somebody, you're like, Am I being recorded? Like, yeah, is this yeah. a prank? I thought that you were like inside the beast and like a, a piece of the machinery. I'm like, no. And by the way, like all my coworkers, they think the same thing. Just like, we don't know what else to do. Mm. And so I think that the pendulum swinging on the media is going to be one of these things where people are going to realize like, wait a second, even the media, the people who uh, helped to really propagate a lot of this stuff over the last couple of years even they're like almost getting like red pilled to some degree. And uh, inflation is the canary in the coal mine. Oh, really? 
why do all of a sudden there's tons of inflation articles about how inflation is a problem or uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics only has certain people and they're manually going and getting it everything? Because guess who's getting fucked by inflation? The journalists that get paid nothing mm -hmm. and they are getting paid in cash. They have no equity, they have no investments. They have no, they're literally by their job, they are not allowed to make investments. They are trapped in cash and the cash is being eroded away at a historic rate. Guess what their fucking weapon of discourse is? They get out their computer and they start writing articles and they're like, fuck these people. Mm -hmm. And so in some way, like that is the red pilling of the mainstream media is literally inflation is eating away at the journalists who cannot have investable assets. It's so fascinating you say that because I met a journalist at the Bitcoin conference. Um, I won't say who, obviously I, I met her at the Bitcoin conference and she was asking me, so like, how do you make money? Like, how, like, so what, what, what do you They're do? They're all leaving. Yeah. She asked me, what do you do? Like, are you comfortable on your own? Like you can say what you want. And I'm like, why? I thought you were like the shit. Like you, you're not happy. And she's just like, mm, not really. And that honestly was so fascinating. And I think it's also just like the rise of social media. Like social media now is, is different to how it was two years ago. It's evolving just because we had it back in like 2000 and. Uh, 14, 13 doesn't mean it is what it is today. Um, and also with, with this, with social media and information that we spoke about, there's, uh, there's like a, this new teaching of how to make money, um, you know, smart work instead of hard work. Like that is a concept, which I'm new to. It's n I, I heard that for the first time when I was like 23 or 24, even, I don't know, like two years ago or something like that. Not when I was like growing up in school, I'd never heard about smart work. Um, so this kind of entrepreneurial um, business um, uh, content is waking people up globally. Like I do so much smart work. I don't work hard, I work smart. Um, I work hard when I want to, <laughs> but smart all the time. And yeah, so these journalists are waking up to that and realizing like, oh, I could have my own show. I could have sponsors. I could do this, I could do that. Um, and they also do feel censored as well. Um, and money as well. They're, they're not allowed to invest. How much do you think, my wife, uh, when she started a major media uh, company, how much do you think she was paid? She was like two or three years out of school. Mm. She's publicly said it, so I'll repeat it. Okay, I, I haven't heard it. So it's probably different as well. Wages are higher in America, which is mm -hmm. what I've realized compared to England. I didn't know that. Um, that would probably, in England, that would be like 24,000 pounds a year, which is what, like $27,000 a year or something like that? I don't know. It's pretty close. Yeah, like what 30 grand. Yeah. Right? And she was living in New York City and she was like, oh, wow. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then over time, obviously, as they go up and then like, you know, the editors or the executives or whatever, they get paid lots of money. And so uh, it's fascinating to see, um, you know, these are people who uh, in some ways you feel for them, right? Because you're like, look, uh, they are doing the thing that they thought they wanted to do in life. They're not getting paid very well. Uh, and a lot of them don't care about the bullshit. Now, some of them, are fucking making the bullshit, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it's pretty obvious, I think, to see who is who yeah. because uh, if you work at one of these major corporations for more than like five years to in today's day and age, mm -hmm. like you have just become, uh, for the most part, unless you're an investigative journalist mm -hmm. or a war co correspondent. Outside of those, like you're pretty much a mouthpiece. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think like the whole nine to five situation in general is going to decline. Like, COVID, again, it woke so many people up, even, you know, remote work. That's not something which people really considered or thought about before COVID. Now everyone's like, oh, I could work remote. Before remote work was like this luxury. Now it's like becoming more of a convenience and a normality. Social media, everything, everyone's making content. 
everyone is making well, content. Once you realize that most journalists are just content creators on the yes. internet, all of a sudden, like the, the playing field is equal. Mm. It's level. And they're all competing for the audience's time and attention. It's the attention economy. By the way, you're also competing with Spotify, fucking Netflix, and YouTube, yeah. right? But like everyone's competing. And uh, just because you have some big corporation's name on the door, nobody gives a fuck anymore. The, the audience does not care. And you see it in the numbers. Yeah. Joe Rogan was the most hilarious example. They're so, they're so full of themselves, these major news organizations and corporations that they can't even fathom that we don't care about you anymore. They don't understand why Rogan would get millions and millions and millions of views. They, they, they don't get it because they're so far gone and so up their own ass, excuse my, excuse my language, that they just, they don't get it. Um, and for us, it's, it's so obvious. It's like, you're a mouthpiece. You're repeating this same thing. Um, you all say the same rubbish. I mean, do you remember the headline, inflation is great, why? Higher wages. Mm -hmm. It's all bullshit. There's no real conversation. Everything is censored. Um, and the, I love that they just don't understand why nobody cares about them. I don't remember the exact numbers, but yeah. the last number that I heard from the New York Times is they had 5 million paying subscribers, which is a lot, right? 5 million people who are paying them money every single uh, month or year. Daily Wire which yeah. is Ben Shapiro, they now have Jordan Peterson and stuff, had, uh, as of the last number I saw publicly, about 900,000 paying members. Wow. So if you look at that, let's just say that those are ballpark numbers. Daily Wire, which most people don't even know the fuck that is, yeah. has one-fifth of the paying subscribers that the New York Times has. If you need any other data point to show the world is changing and, like, the power is shifting, mm -hmm. like... The New York Times has been around for 100 years. Mm. Daily Wire, well, how old is that? A few years. Six years, six right? Years, yeah. so, you know, whatever, 10 years, like whatever. Yeah. Let's say they've been around for 20 years. Yeah. Like it, it's just a whole different game going on. And, and so it, it just feels like um, uh, I'm always careful that like the machine, mm. like literally rage against the machine, the individuals for the most part, I think are actually good intentioned, hardworking, like trying to do the right thing. There are some bad apples for sure that, uh, make big issues, but like it's the machine. And actually what we've seen is some of the greatest independent voices used to be inside the machine then they left. Mm -hmm. And so like a lot of the people in the machine now, they're just like the future great independent voices. It's just like break them out. Like, like just convince them to leave. I know. And I wonder how far this is going to go. Like, I don't know what the future looks like. Um, and I don't know. I think those that are, are woke are going to stay woke. Like if you haven't woken up, woken up in the last two years, then you're, you're, you're staying asleep. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's going to be this um, two kind of system society, you know, where you have like the, the Florida and Texas and then the other rest of America. This, this, this society whereby you have these two opposing kind of um, people, some that want to take personal responsibility, the others that don't want to take any responsibility and want to push ridiculous agendas like drag queen story hour they're gonna like work parallel side by side and i don't know physically how that's even gonna work mm -hmm. because like are we just gonna keep going backwards and forwards with this pendulum or is like a civil war gonna break out and you know florida really does break off or not or you know we all move to el salvador because el salvador was the only place which actually put out some honest content about uh, covid and how to recover from it i don't know whether we will start literally voting with our feet and leaving um so many amazing people that i know have left america because they just say it's just become it's just become you know too the state has become too big it's too involved in your own life so i don't know what do you think 
I'm not going to leave, uh, yeah. at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, I still think that there's hope that it can like get back on track, uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Like, and I think that's part of it is, uh, I, I recently tweeted and I said, uh, this is the Super Bowl for entrepreneurs, especially in America. We have so many problems. We have to reshore manufacturing and supply chains and uh, transition from an industrial age to a digital age and like do all these things. Like who's going to solve the problems? But can America do that? Because I feel like the current administration are actively making things worse, like on purpose. I feel like it's, they do things. The greatest just- companies in the world are still in America by far. Yes. And uh, that's despite the friction, the headwinds, like all that stuff, uh, which one is a testament to the entrepreneurs and the companies that, that have been successful. Uh, and then two is, I think there's a pendulum swinging on the political side where uh, people are starting to realize like, wait a second, um, you know, in some ways, Tupac mm, was uh, was yeah. right. Like they got money for wars, but they don't have money to feed the poor. Like how, did, how is that possible? Yeah. Right? And uh, again, there's tons of nuance, tons of complexity, tons of generalizations that go into all this stuff. But- uh, there's a lot of problems around the world we seem worried about when, like, let's fix our own shit. Yeah, why did they give so much money to Ukraine? You'd have to ask them that question, and every time someone's asked them, they have a different answer. That's what I mean. So, like, the system, like, Biden is the system. He is the administration. And for me, there's just too many red flags, too many weird things. Like, the message they put out over the whole vaccine thing, like, wishing death to the unvaccinated. What is that? Like, why are you pushing so much... um, you're so much divisive language. Um, why are you wishing death upon unvaccinated people? Why are you not empowering people to go to the gym, eat healthy? What's going on with Bill Gates buying all the farmland? Like, there's so much weird shit going on right now, and I don't, I, I don't know where this I is just, going. I just, I just read books, yeah, and chill, and try not to uh, worry about it too much. Yeah, you can do that, but you because you have an amazing setup because right. you're 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 set up for. Yeah, I'm not gonna the get. I'm not gonna uh, get pressured from uh from anyone but like i just at some point you just got to be like man there's a lot of stuff out there i can't control it's wild Mm -hmm. uh i want to understand but uh i don't trick myself into thinking that uh i'm going to change some of it but the things that i can control like let me go focus on that stuff yeah that's the only way before I let you go, uh, tell us about your book. Uh, yes. We haven't talked about it at all. No, it's all uh, good. But but uh, but tell everyone uh, yeah, real quickly so about the book. Undressing Bitcoin. Um, I launched that. Um, I published it a year ago, nearly. Um, and it's basically a really easy guide to understanding Bitcoin. Um, it's kind of for the people who want to know about Bitcoin, but they feel overwhelmed and intimidated by all the uh, major books out there. So it's a very concise, really easy language, and it's just like an amazing starting point to learning about Bitcoin. Um, it's very up to date with everything that's going on. Even, you know, down to like El Salvador, it talks about the technicalities of the Bitcoin network, how that works, um, how um, it's a hedge against inflation, um, deflationary asset um, and all these things. Um, And also like politically why it's good. So from like a freedom standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of talk about, you know, like um, fleeing tyranny, um, you know, always having your bags packed, like I said earlier. Um, And so, um, yeah, it's 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 um, I'm really happy about it. You know, I'm happy that, that I did it. I'm happy that, it, that it's out there. Um, and I think it's a, an amazing way to get into Bitcoin. It's on Amazon. Um, there's a Kindle version. There's an audio version. Um, and yeah, it's a super easy read. 
Awesome. And uh, where can we send people to find you on the internet? So I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube and Instagram and also TikTok, actually. Um, so it's just my first and my last, my last name, Leia Heilpern. Um, yeah, so please come over and um, I talk about all this stuff constantly, basically. <laughs> so if you like this, you'll, you'll like the rest. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it very much. We'll definitely do it again in the future. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so brilliant. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends, and I'll see you all for the next episode.